seconds to go. Bruins hold it in behind the New York net with three Richie on it. Ground ball to short, backhanded by Bichette. Throw is in time, and the Blue Jays will win it. A weird game in Chicago, but they get it done. And the Blue Jays take advantage of the mistakes made by the White Sox and even up the series at a win apiece. It's crushing to you know that my season was ended um, by that, and I wasn't able to I wasn't able to play in this series. Thought I was going to be tried to shut down by Philip Deneau and. You know, it was Department of Player Safety that shut me down, so that, that definitely sucks, but that's life. Well, I woke up this morning and I looked out the window, Ziggy, and I was hoping that the CN Tower would be lit up blue and orange for the great Canadian Matt Barzell and the New York Islanders advancing to the semifinals for the second consecutive year, but... I was let down. There was no color scheme that was specifically notable. Such a shame. Such a shame. Are we still, are we, let, are we gonna, are we gonna let the CN Tower go? I, th I like, I, I think I'm over it. I, I know you're kidding around and I, I, you didn't take it as seriously as a lot of people did yesterday, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm over it now. I talked to I'll, enough friends. I want to let it go. I want to let it go, but people on Twitter aren't letting me let it go. I was commenting on Twitter last night on the Blue Jays game, and I was getting CN Tower responses in my mentions. Those being thrown back in my face. That that's that's why it's dragged for an extra few hours in my life. And I'm happy we heard from the mayor saying he had nothing to do with it. But <laughs> was any did he give like an official release media statement saying that he wasn't part of it? Like that's what I was surprised never happened. I don't know if I'm mayor of a city and something like that happened, another town in the country. And all of a sudden there, we were celebrating their team success. I would probably release a statement. And I know we kind of reached out and they said they weren't, weren't think, involved in it. There's <laughs> one person. There's one person in this city who's not named right now, an anonymous person whose job is to decide what color or colors the led lights of the CN tower are each and every night and that person is hiding because if their name ever comes out they'll be public enemy number one in this city yeah you know what i i was talking to stewie yesterday there's a new app that sportsnet's releasing and i don't know if you've been on it yesterday but we, tonight, we did it tonight we, you're, you're tonight. on tonight oh yeah yeah so so we did an hour last night and stewie's just like listen i'm sure he'll talk about it today as well we'll we'll, we'll get them to chime in a little bit but He's just like it's a different it's a different color every night, right? Like it's it's not it's not that big of a deal. I know I said like it bothered me at the start, but I can kind of laugh it off. I still think there's a lot of Leafs fans that it's more of the troll than anything. It's not the fact that we're celebrating or it's the national monument celebrating the Canadians North win. It's just the fact of the way it happened. So, you know, we it's something we have to get over. It's uh, laugh it off. I think we're going to be okay going forward. I put, it, I put it this way, to put a bow on this conversation, I put it this way to a couple people yesterday. I said, it's not anything worth getting truly angry over. Like, honestly, right? But at the mm -hmm. same time, 
it's completely stupid that it ever happened. So I, if I'm getting worked up about anything, I'm getting worked up at the stupidity, the silliness of it all, the needlessness of it all. It's just, it's just a something that was done that caused rage where rage didn't need to exist. And it's something that didn't have to happen. No, mm-hmm. no, we're not. Look, there are Habs fans all over this city, right? There have been a lot of people who've come from Montreal and the province of Quebec to live and work here. There have been a lot of people in our part of the world or from our part of the world who've gone to Montreal or Quebec to work there. Like, it's totally understandable why there are Habs fans here, Leafs fans there. But, I mean, it just, it's just, I, it's, I, and, I, and it's just salt in the wound for Leafs fans, of course. I hope the Canadians do well. I hope they give okay. Vegas, well, Colorado. This, I, no, no, no. I, I, yeah, no. Like I, I really wish them well going forward. I, I don't know if that's part of the sportsmanship that is instilled in a, a, a lot of athletes. I, it was instilled in me, but obviously, I want to win it in every game I play in, whether it's hockey, golf, a game of tennis, a game of chess, but. After someone beats you and it's over, it's like over. I'm not saying we should celebrate it by lighting up the CN Tower in our city, but I want them to do well for the North's sake, for for Matthews leading the league in goals, for McDavid leading the league in points. Nobody cares like, that Matthews led the league in goals. Nobody no, cares no. that McDavid led the league in points because neither of their teams did anything in the playoffs. Yeah, right? and I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that, and I totally get it. And it doesn't really matter what you do in the regular season if you get knocked out early. But I just meant from a standpoint of when you have, like, how much talk has the North been given how it's the easiest division of all four? It's still the narrative. It's still, well, now how that Montreal. How many times did you and I attempt to shoot that down? And this is why I want the Canadians to do well, because I want a little bit of respect. Like, if they get, if they get beaten four straight games, and they're not even close. People say, oh, there you go. Matthews and McDavid. Easy regular season. That's why they did what they did. And that's what will happen if Montreal doesn't give Vegas or Colorado a series. That's why. That's- okay, but those are, those are dumb people who've decided that that's how they feel. Go mm. to, all you got to do is you got to turn on your laptop or punch into your phone. Simple keys. H-O-C-K-E-Y-D-B, HockeyDB.com. Austin with an O, Matthews with two T's and an S on the end. And you will see that this is a guy who prorated, factoring in injuries in a couple of seasons, who prorated in each of his first five years in the National Hockey League as a 40-goal scorer. Last I checked in the first four years of his career, he wasn't stuck playing only Canadian teams. So it's a stupid argument. And Connor McDavid, he's going to have Art Ross's, his man cave will be so stuffed with Art Ross's they won't be able to put a couch and a TV in there by the time his career is over. So it's a stupid argument made by people who just want to crap on something. Fair weather, idiot! Yes. It, like, it, it's it's a stupid argument. Am yeah. I wrong? Uh- no, I just, yeah, it's, I, 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 I get every, I like, I understand what you're saying and, and where people are going with it. I just, I, I think the fact that 
yeah, it, the regular season success, we've talked about it a lot. What's the different what what differentiates the players that have success in the playoffs versus and teams um during the regular season versus the playoffs? And for me, a lot of it has to do with just your comfort zone, your comfort level, and you have to find some way out of it. You're going to have to do something more than you did in the regular season. And it just seems like all the guys that win seem to find a way to just add something to their game, whether it's play a little bit more physical, hang on to the puck a little bit more, shorten your shift. Just you're putting your your team ahead of yourself, essentially, at the end of the day. And when you have enough guys buying in, things change. You also can't have any passengers in the playoffs. I feel like if you're a big part of a team and you're a passenger, yeah, you might be able to get through a round if you're an experienced team that has won in the past. But with Matthews and Marner, both of them were passengers in the series against the Canadians. And I'm not saying they didn't try to try or their effort level was down. They didn't have the work ethic. But really, neither guy, for the most part, through the seven games as a whole, showed up. I think if one of them shows up, it's a difference. We're sitting here talking about the Leafs. And, oh, how do you think they're going to match up against Vegas or Colorado, McKinnon? You know, who who do you want them to play against? So I, I really do think that do you think they would have wiped the floor with Winnipeg? Do you think that they would have wiped the floor in the same way the Habs ended up doing? Well, it's so hard because they didn't have Shifley, right? Like that that's the problem. Everything. Yeah, it, it changes everything. Every, it cha- the Leafs and didn't DeMello have Tavares. went down, and he's an important they part didn't, of their defense. Like the Leafs didn't have like I, I don't want to keep sitting here defending the Leafs for two weeks now, but once you have one of your big players out, it most more often than not. It changes the dynamic on the ice, on the bench, in the room, right? He was their captain. He meant a lot. He was a guy that showed up. He's a, he's a, he shows up when the going gets tough, and that's kind of what you want out of your captain. That's what you want out of all your top guys. So as soon as he's not in the lineup, I know it's hard, it's hard to rebound from that and find a way. And I know you're going to say, well, they got up 3-1 without him, so what's your excuse now? It's tough to win a series without him, and that showed to be – Correct, right? I mean, I just I, I I think with Winnipeg, I don't know. Like if Shifley's in the lineup, I think it's I think it's well for sure it's a different series. Does Montreal beat them? It's so it's so tough. I, I obviously I picked Winnipeg Jets to beat them. I would pick them again. And I just said, what did I say? You know, to start the series off. It's not gonna be an easy out. If they do the same thing, if they don't kind of sit back, if they don't kind of sit and wait they have a chance to win and they don't get comfortable. And the Canadians haven't gotten comfortable at this point. What you have to worry is that they have this week off and will they get comfortable now? I know they played a lot. They had the toughest schedule to close up the regular season. They have a seven game series against the Leafs. Then they have to go to Winnipeg and play in 48 hours. And then all of a sudden four straight when they have four and six, like it's pretty impressive outside of price, outside of what they have in the defense scoring first power play going. It's it's impressive. I, I I can't even say that it's it's you do have to get lucky, but it's been impressive so far. What are their chances against Vegas and Colorado? I'm gonna say the same as it was against the Leafs. Like the Leafs were one goal away from going on. Like let's not forget this wasn't like blow games. Like no doubters. Game five, six, and seven. Leafs are two. What were goal away? Two games in a row. And then it's over. And then we're sitting here talking about the Leafs getting ready for the final four. So 
I'm happy for them. I hope they do well for their sake, for the North's sake. I'm not a sore loser. It does sting. The CN Tower stings, but we're moving on. Well, it's not. No, 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 no. It's not about being a sore loser. It's about I would never cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. It's not. It's not about. It's it's a rivalry thing, right? I I'm I'm happy to admit I cheered for Calgary in the 2004 Cup final. I cheered for Edmonton in the 2006 Cup final. I covered the 2007 Cup final because I was working in Ottawa at the time. Senators played the Ducks. Ducks took them out in five. I was there for the home games. Like, I was happy to see the local team, I was living in that area, do well and it advanced that far. It, it's different. <laughs> it's different <laughs> when it's Montreal. And I didn't like that Canucks team in 2011. And so I kind of took to the Bruins. And that, of course, was pre-2013 and pre the last recent bit of history with the Maple Leafs. So... It became easy for me as that series went on to cheer for Boston, and I've never really recovered my emotions for the uh, Vancouver Canucks. So so it, it's different when it's Montreal, and it's different when it's Vancouver. And part of it with Montreal is we've all got, you've talked about your family, Ziggy. We all have family and or friends who absolutely love that team, and they will be the ones who are on their phones before the final horn goes, if the, if, the, if the Habs win the Stanley Cup, typing away, sending messages. They'll be phoning the next morning. They'll be reminding you. They'll be posting on social media. They'll take digs at get-togethers and parties. And it will be the 2021 Stanley Cup champion Montreal Canadiens. On and on they'll go until the Leafs if the Leafs finally do it. That's what people don't want. Otherwise, it's like what Seinfeld says. It's just two different groups of guys in different colored laundry playing each other, and we're cheering either for or against one of the sets of laundry. But we don't want to deal with all the people in our lives who are going to be obnoxious and insufferable if Montreal wins the Stanley Cup. Yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm curious to see like any team coming out of the North. I just, that's something we missed this year, right? We haven't been able to compare the Leafs. We haven't been able to compare whoever's in the Leafs division to other teams, right? So you had no real gauge on what to expect or what would happen in the playoffs coming down the stretch. Who's the best in the league. We've been talking about it every single week and we'll get our chance Next week, that's that's when it's going to happen, right? And I'm looking forward to it. I still think I, I, like, I'm not sure whether it's the fans in the building and the fact that up in the north we haven't been able. Like, I know we've had two thousand fans at the in Montreal, but there's nothing. Like, if you want to compare what the Habs games have looked like or in Winnipeg to what's gone on with Colorado and Vegas, I think it's the fans that do it more than anything. Look at the Islanders Just, last night. Oh yeah. You want to talk about places? Um, like the, Nassau Coliseum. Is it still called Nassau Coliseum? It's, yes. It says, I, I, think I feel I'll, like they, I think they changed the name. Didn't someone sponsor it or there's a new sponsor going no, in? No, but if it look at center, year, ice, look at Well, they're changing arenas very soon, right? Is this the last run for the Nassau Coliseum and they're moving to Belmont or is that still a year or two away? 
Yeah, to, I think I it's look I, I think it's a weird year two way, but they put a ton of money into Nassau. Like I played there before the renovations, right? Yep. Like I think that like it's different now. When I played there, it was an old, like musty. The carpet was like gross. Like you did you ever have a friend where you'd go in their basement and play as a kid and it was like gross, either like they had a dog that would like pee on the carpet and they wouldn't take care of it. Or they had a leak in the basement and, you, and you're there playing, you know, hitting a ball around or mini sticks or playing with toys. Like what's, I what's had that, that brown I, stain in the corner. Oh, it's from one of your 25 cats. Yeah. Like yeah. one of the, like I had one of those friends growing up and that's kind of what the Nassau Coliseum was like. Just low, bad lighting. The room was like a minor hockey rink. You'd walk to the ice the fans were kind of right there in the corner. The ice was never good. If it was a warm day out, you'd have fog out and huh. just brutal conditions. The benches, like you didn't have access to the bench. So if you had to leave the bench, you had to go on the ice. Just everything about it. The fans were kind of, the fans were brutal. I'm sure they still are brutal. They were, br- well, they were strong last night. They were representing oh, last yeah. night. New York Saints. Yeah, like <laughs> New York Saints. I what I remember from the O2 series and I'll I talk about that series all the time. That was the 2002 run the Leafs lost Sundine and Tucker for a period of time and it was Gary Roberts and Alan McCauley who carried them to the Eastern Final before they lost to Carolina, but the first round series I nicknamed the Bloodbath series where it was Tucker and Pekka had the incident where Pekka Pekka's knee went and there were fights. Gary Roberts, you want to talk about like things that couldn't happen today. Gary Roberts took a run from the blue line and just pasted Kenny Johnson behind the net through the boards. And, and he got hurt. Johnson did. And there was just back and forth, back and forth. The home team won all seven games. So the Leafs advanced, but games three, four, and six, Stephen Webb, Remember Stephen Webb, kind of a tough guy, and there yeah. Stephen Webb, and it was just loud. I, I, I was almost jealous I couldn't be there. I felt the same way watching it last night. They're passionate, man. They're diehards. Yeah. They don't. Tough they're not heavy in number, but they're passionate. Yeah, yeah. It was a. T- it was one a tough rink to go into, and yeah, I'm. A, they're on to the, off to the final four again. Like Barry Trotz, just. Always seems to find a way, he just finds a way to get it done. Doesn't matter where he is. He's been in the game a long time. He was Nashville's first coach. He's been he's Nashville came into the league in 1998. He's yeah, it's been 23. Like he's been in the game. Everyone's like, oh, well, Barry Trotz is a win. No, like it took Barry Trotz a long time to win a Stanley Cup. Like it's not it's not easy. He just always whatever team you throw at him, whatever deck he, whatever cards he's dealt, it's like he always finds a way to make the playoffs. Like he stacks the deck in his favor with whatever, whatever's there. Like he just, he's that guy, like guys love playing for him. And that matters. I, I, it matters a lot. I think from a coaching standpoint, you want to be hard. You want to be fair. You want to make sure you keep guys focused and disciplined, but at the same time, it ha- you have to make it fun and guys have to want to play for you. And he just always seems out to bring, you know, he brings the best out in players and guys that I know that have played for him. He's just, he's the the reason that he's one of the best is because he's fair and 
you know, with ice time and finding, you know, figuring out who to put on the ice, he just always, he, it's, I feel like that's one of the biggest challenges is who deserves the ice, who deserves to go on. And he's one of those guys. And I don't think that's an easy job. I've been on the bench with UFT and figuring out how much ice time to give who deserves it is one of the toughest things. And Barry Trotz just always seems to figure that part of the game out. And you can tell, look what he's done with this Islanders team. You know, they're, they don't have the most skilled team. You want like throw the Islanders roster up against the Leafs. They're not a puck possession team either, Ziggy, right? Like they, they traditionally in the last couple of years have spent a lot of time in their own zone, but the whole theory is keep the chances to the outside, right? Limit the grade A's and then pounce on an opponent's mistakes and go down and pot them. Right? Yeah. I no, no, no. Yeah. I, I talk about this a lot. What's the, like the, we, well, we touched on it this morning already. It's, what is the difference between teams that are tough to play against in the regular season versus teams that are tough to play against in the playoffs? And that's, that's one of them. Like, I think you need to put a team in tough situations. The Islanders just seem to always push the pace North. Do they hang on to pucks? Yes. They don't throw things away blindly. They support each other everywhere, everywhere on the ice, but with Grizzly last night, those two mistakes, it's up out of the zone into the neutral zone. You know, everything's going forward. It's a pass to the middle and they're gone. Like Grizzly kind of coughed it up a couple times in the second period. And then in his own end, he's in front of the net. He's like, oh, I'll have time to grab a puck and shovel in the corner. It's a giveaway and it's in the back of their net. Like uh, Brock Nelson goal, Palmieri goal. Like it's just, it's, it's, they're tough to play against. They're always in your face everywhere. And it's it's all centered around their work ethic, and it's all about the team first. They don't care who scores. They don't care who gets the credit. That's just the way they operate, and I think that has a lot to do with the guys in the room. And they they always have three or four lines show up. A lot of times they beat you with four, though. When they can get four lines going, very few teams like I'm. Tampa Bay, I'm so I'm looking forward to this one. Like this is going to be a massive great series. Uh high-powered offense versus a team that'll just grind you down. Like this is what it's about. Like but a lot of people don't like the Islanders and what they what they stand for, right? They want Tampa Bay, you know, they want Vegas, they want Colorado. They want those exciting teams to watch. Even throw Carolina in there. I think Carolina's even got Similar build to the Islanders with a little more offensive upside. But let me tell you, Islanders can get it done. They've scored a lot of goals in this Bruins series against a good Bruins team. And I mean, that's another conversation. What happened? Like, do the Bruins finally get blown up? Like that's, we've been saying it now. This is going to be year four, right? They move on from Char. Okay. Now they're done. They don't have their captain. Well, it didn't really, I, I didn't notice a difference in the Bruins from, last year with Chara to without him this year. They just seem to always find a way. Bruce Cassidy, another one of those coaches, been around a long time. Guys like playing for him a little bit more, I'd say rougher around the edges than a Barry Trotz from the guys that I know that have played for both of them. But at the same time, expects a lot out of you is fair. And that's what players want. And what Cassidy has done and the, the culture he's formed in Boston they're always a threat to win. And 
I don't think they're going to blow it up still. Like, I, I, I don't know where you are with the Well, I just I look Bruins. at it. Krejci's an unrestricted free agent. Bergeron's got a year left. Pasternak's got two years left on his hugely favorable contract. And Marchand has four years left at 6.125. So I don't see them going anywhere. I mean, Patrice Bergeron feels like somebody who retires a Bruin if he so chooses. Right? Mm-hmm. So they've got almost everybody locked in. Krejci and Taylor Hall are their two main unrestricted free agents up front. Mike Riley, Kevin Miller, who were a mil-plus guys on the back end, are their two biggest unrestricted free agent defensemen. And then you've got Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak, who need new contracts. So two two consequential forwards, and you got to figure out your goaltending. Rask has been injured, though. He's had nagging injuries throughout the playoffs. So that was tough for him, tough for the team. Like Brandon Carlo, um, Kevin Miller, they both went down. Their their penalty kill was, what, top three in the NHL during the regular season? And what, the the Islanders were clicking at 40%, their power play. Like, their, like even at five on five, I thought the Bruins were good in the series. And should have won based off of it, but the Islanders five on five uh, uh, power play was so good. The Bruins didn't have a chance. And then all of a sudden in in a deciding game, their five on five took over for the Island. So yeah, I, they have a lot of questions. I don't think Rask will be back. Uh, Their defense core is, is decent. I think up front. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of questions because guys are getting older and they're not the only team, right? That has to, think about making changes. We have to think about making changes in Toronto. Maybe we, we know the big four are coming back, but who's coming around them. That's going to be the big question, right? I'm, I'm kind of curious what, which way they go. Are they going to go back to more skill or, you know, foot on the pedal, you know, with, with a tougher, more, you know, sandpaper type of players, the Felinos, the Simmons, and will they go that way? Go and get a true blue number one defenseman. Yeah, you're oh, with me. And get I, I've been getting a, a hard time for that, by the way. Number a lot of one people defenseman. are saying a lot of people are saying, well, oh, so the Leafs lost because they didn't have a number one defenseman and a and a and a one A goaltender. Already I didn't say that. that. Already yeah, no, but that. I, I didn't say that. I said if you look at teams that win, very few if I I can't pick out one that didn't have a bona fide number one defenseman. It just doesn't happen. And we I don't also, know. We also already covered that. I, I've said to people who have made that argument, well, scoring was the issue in the playoff series. So now you want to go and get a defenseman. Scoring wasn't the issue in the regular season over a much larger sample size. So, mm-hmm. you know, scoring should not be the issue with this team. And it's very clear that they will go from an offensive perspective for sure, as far as their stars take them. They lost one of them, Tavares, right away in that series. Matthews and Marner did not live up to the billing. William Nylander was very good. So one of the four was a key positive factor in that series against Montreal. If those guys aren't going, it's ultimately not going to matter. But you can't sit there and say, well, scoring was the issue in the playoffs. Therefore, they just got to overload on offense. They've got enough scoring. They've got enough scoring over a broader sample size. It should translate into the playoffs. What I'm saying is I want a 27-minute-a-night stud defenseman that's $7, $8 million a year guy. Dougie Hamilton, get him here. Make it work. Figure it out. And then the domino effect that falls from that, 
all of a sudden you got a really nice blue line, a really nice blue line. That's the way I would go. That's the big move I would make. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And I think that's something that they have to look at. It's not even that scoring, like everyone's like, well, scoring was the issue. If Marner or Matthew shows up, it's not even a discussion. It really isn't. I I really think that if just one of those guys got we got a little bit more out of, we're not. I think they're in the playoffs still, but we're not talking about the scoring issues that we can't score in the playoffs. Um, you're going to run into hot goaltenders. You're going to run into teams that have good back ends, and Montreal had it going on. They figured a way out to score first, and. They've been running with it ever since. Let's, uh, you know, I, we'll have lots of time to break down how we think the the Leafs should rebuild and the moves they're going to make in the offseason. But number one defenseman and and hopefully Jack Campbell's a guy. The Jays did not take advantage of a lot of opportunities early in Tuesday's game against the White Sox. The bullpen coughed it up late. It's always nice to see when the other team gives you one back. And that's what the White Sox did last night as the Blue Jays beat them in Chicago. So the rubber match goes tonight. We'll get into that. And Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets had something to say. A different take on the whole doctoring of baseballs by pitchers and what Major League Baseball allows and doesn't allow year in and year out. And what he claims baseball bases its decisions on. We'll play that audio next. Got to give some love to the Blue Jays, Zig. I mean, they're hanging in. They're treading water. That was one I didn't think they deserved to win. Well, you know what? Like, I didn't think they deserved to win the game, but they've lost so many close ones this year that I'm not going to say anything when they pull that one off. Like, I'm not going to be like, oh, really got away with one there. Like, I'm not doing that. They've been in these close games and good teams put themselves in these close games and win them. I talk about one goal games all the time in the NHL. We talk about the Leafs or different teams in the North this year. Well, this was a one run game and they found a way to do it. Um, Teoscar, I don't know. Like, what was that? The 3 0 pitch swinging it? Like, I, can you please explain They're that? They're saying to me? so bases loaded, three. top of the eighth inning, 2 2 game, one out. Three balls and no strikes. For context, Vladdy had just been walked prior to tie I don't know the game. Who gave the green light for that? But that is well, Kevin Barker will join us in an hour at seven thirty, and for his half hour, and we'll bark at Barker. We'll talk about the three zero green light versus the three zero take. And I was thinking about this that. There is only one count, one count in all of a pitcher-hitter showdown where if the hitter swings and he doesn't get a hit or something good doesn't happen, it is an outright failure. If you swing 3-0 and and something good doesn't happen, 
people are saying, well, why'd you swing 3-0? and Now, the counter to that, of course, is that the 3-0 pitch, if it's a get-me-over fastball, it's a pitcher trying to get back into the count, that might be the best pitch you see in the at-bat, the most hittable pitch you see in the at-bat. So I think Teoscar was up there geared to do damage, and he's an aggressive swinger. Like, he doesn't have the discipline that Vladdy does. He's more on the free-swinging side in the ilk of, of Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel. And I think he got a little too aggressive there, Ziggy, and if it was not for a defensive mishap on the double-play ground ball, it would have been 2-2 headed to the bottom of the eighth. So some luck was in the Blue Jays' favor. The White Sox defense got shoddy there. In that eighth inning, there was also that pass ball on the third strike to Riley Adams, which effectively started Mm -hmm. the rally. There was another poorly uh, played ground ball in the top of the ninth that led to an extra run. Like, it was nice to see the other team kicking it around late. Yeah. A little bit. Because that's what we've done a couple times this year. So that's why I said, I'm not going to say we got away with one or we got lucky or, you know, White Sox really handed us this one. Um, Lance Lynn, I mean, that, that was, a, I, we always talk about wasted performances about us. How about if you're a White Sox fan? <laughs> like, Lance Lynn's awesome. Cool. Yeah, but that's a, a big wasted game for them. Like we've and done the same it a way couple the Robbie times Ray's this year. game on Tuesday was yeah, a the Robbie yeah. Ray game. We've raced it away. A couple Ryu starts like it happens with every team. We need to recognize that. So this was a, a big win for the team. I think gives them a little bit of confidence. They beat one of the best teams in baseball. The Jays are there. They're right there. And I want to talk about my boy, Randall. How about my boy, Randall, my boy, Randall. Yes. Like how good is he? Like, what is that number? 13, 13, 13. I'm trying to, I for almost 14. Like he's there. He could hit 14 tonight. He, he is deserving of all-star consideration. Absolutely. I think he's got to be in the conversation. The only issue is how many guys, how many players do you legit think will get picked from the Jays? This Vladdy. is all on unfi- Vladdy and Vla- Ryu, Vladdy and Ryu would be my two obvious ones right now. Okay. But this is all on fan voting, right? Well, a part of it is. And yep. the coaching staffs pick a lot of the pitching and players also have a say. It's a hybrid deal now. It's it's not strictly fan it's voting both, and then fill it out. But don't once they get further down in the team or more, play, isn't it more to do with fan voting? Like I was trying to dig up some stuff last well, night. Well, there's a like, last. There's kind of like a last man standing deal where you get to yes. vote on the final roster spot. Like that's how S- Steve Delabar made it from the Blue Jays in 2013. Steve Delabar, middle reliever, like a uh, those types. So yes, there is a last well, man standing vote. So I'm with you. I have Vladdy's a, a lock. Ryu probably. He should go. Uh, the the Marcus Simeon one is interesting. Like I mm-hmm. think he deserves to go. I think this is the ni- the 2019 Fair. Simeon. I know his his defense isn't the same as two years ago, but I think he's like. And I'm wondering how many people from Oakland will be voting for him. Right? Like, do you think there's like a little bit of hey? You know, we don't really have anybody going this year. Like, we don't have anyone going well, at, it, at second. It's a recognizable name. He's from that area, and he played for the A's for five yeah. or six years. So I'm, so, yeah. I'm wondering so. if yeah, if they don't vote for him, and then Randall, like that's the thing. Are you going to take four? Are you going to take four players from the Jays? It's just I, I don't see it happening. But it would be a great story for a guy who wasn't supposed to be on the team, and then bat, and then 
uh, an injury to Springer. Like, let's think about this. As good as Randall has been and how much, and you know me, I love guys that work hard and aren't really given the opportunity and fight for every inch. But let's be honest with ourselves. If Springer doesn't get injured, Randall's not in this position. Unless you can talk me. I know it's tough to sit here and yeah, guess although, what would have happened. Well, I think, I think if we go back and, and presume that Springer's healthy out of the gate, then you've got serious competition for at-bats. So the way that Randall started the season and the way that Guriel started the season, Randall would have worked his way into daily playing time almost immediately. And it would have been Guriel who was really battling for at-bats and opportunities. And the way that Rowdy Telez has played... Now, we, the other thing we got to remember, Ziggy, is that two months ago, we didn't know that Vladdy was going to be the best hitter in the American League and maybe in all of baseball. Like, this, this was the kid who had lost the weight. This was the kid who still had all that potential, but it hadn't been realized at a very young age at the highest level. So... Was Vladdy going to be a good first baseman? Was he going to have to DH a lot? Was he going to need off days the way that they had to handle him in the COVID season last year? Rowdy Telez was a factor. Like, there were a bunch of guys who were going to duke it out for playing. I think Vladdy was going to play every day um, or more, mostly every day. But all those other names that I threw in there, they were in competition. I think I think Randall would have secured his spot relatively quickly just because he came out of the gate flying. And that's what I loved about him, and he deserves credit for. For anything else I've ever said or, or, or thought about him when the way he's frustrated me through the years with his plate approach, which is so much better this year as well, he didn't hang his head. He didn't pout in, in front of the cameras in spring training. He went about his business, and and he has changed, I think, the perception of him as a player because the reality of him as a player has changed. I think his offensive approach is different than it used to be, and he plays you a good outfield. You can trust him in center field. He'll catch the balls that he can get to, and he's got a good enough arm to be a right fielder for you. He's, he's had a very nice season. Very nice season for this team. So he's, he's been important. He's, yeah, he's in consideration for me, and it would be great. Be great just to give. Just you, you want to highlight guys that have really changed teams. Like I think he's changed the makeup of this Jays team. They're without Randall. I I don't think they're in the position. Obviously, it takes more than one player. Um, obviously, Vladdy's been the story of the year so far, but. For me, my boy Randall, we got to give him some love. All my right, boy and Randall. I'm, yeah, let's get him into the All-Star game. Let's vote. I think you can start voting now on MLB.com. Let's get out there. Vote Randall in. Let's do it. Wow. Yeah. Should we get you a car flag with the number 15 on it and the Blue Jays well, font? Like I, I wore, well, I got the jersey on order. It's coming in. Are it's, you kidding? Be, you've, you've ordered well, it. Yeah, and it'll be ready for when we go to the games at, at Pow Rogers Center. Powder blue. Royal blue, white or gray? I ordered one of each. What do you mean? We gotta have one of Since you can't travel, is it <laughs> gonna wear the money you saved from not going to the Maldives, you've just loaded up on Randall Gritchick swag. That's yeah, not bad. Not going back to the Maldives, but no, it's yeah, for when we go to Rogers Center. We're going to Rogers Center, right? August? 
What's going to happen? Dude, the, the moment that they're back in town is the moment we go to Rogers Center. How crazy do you think it would be in there? I think people I think people would get kicked out of the game. Like it would be that it crazy. It would be it would be like opening <laughs> night from the mid 2000s where you were people guaranteed People would get kicked out of the game. Oh yeah. I'll tell you right now. Yeah, where you were guaranteed to have a pro wrestling match up in the 500 somewhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> Buck of beers and pro wrestling matches in the in the 500s opening day traditions. Yeah. Well, I I think I, just to circle back to Long Island last night and what we've seen in Vegas and what we've seen in Denver, a lot of the stops in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I don't even know if it would matter 100% if the Blue Jays are legitimately in the playoff race. I mean, if they're in the playoff race, it enhances times a million. But people are just going to be so glad to go to live sporting events again that the moment that those opportunities are reopened in in this part of the world and our teams are back in in this city, I I think I think forty five fifty thousand people are going to show up, and I mm-hmm. I think it's just going to be one big community rallying point. Oh, it's people be just awesome. be happy to be out. Awesome! Can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for like it to think happen. about like, it. You know, I said this like Ryu, if they don't play in Toronto this year. Ryu will play half of his four-year contract at least with the Blue Jays, not in Toronto. Like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to arbitration after this year, and they've control him, I think, through 2025. But it's time we want to get these guys home because we want their young prime years to be played in front of us, not in our minor league stadiums around the United States. You know, time time doesn't stop for anyone, it feels. It just picks up steam. So the sooner they get back and we can watch these young kids excel and and push for the playoffs year in and year out, I think I think it'll be a blast down there. And I don't think we'll take it for granted as much like we probably used to, because we were just used to it. Yeah. Go to batting practice. Like I I'm I'm doing it all. Going early. Get head down tat like it's and it's and things are opening up now right this the patios, patios are open this week tomorrow yeah. right is it tomorrow I okay it's friday so yeah. yeah i it, things are happening things are it, this is a positive thursdays all right yeah. we're, we're ziggy's golfing <laughs> now the patios are starting to open we're talking ourselves into the blue jays getting back to toronto randall gritchick the four jerseys are on order get him to the all-star game Get me a 15 car flag. I love it. I love it. We got to get to the Pete Alonzo audio. We're going to play a little yay or nay at the top of the hour. Pete Alonzo, the New York Pete Alonso, like, come, like, is this for real? Let's, like, come on, Scotty. Everybody, let's get our tinfoil hats out. Oh, my goodness. Let's get our like, tinfoil hats out. I have some theories in my life that I've tried to explain, but this one takes them all. Like, I don't think I've heard anything more ridiculous. Let's get our tinfoil hats out. Let's get into the peyote <laughs> and let's have a discussion with Pete Alonzo. Okay, I can tell by the look on your face you're not sure. So 
Ziggy, you never watch Sopranos? Why do you try to expose me like this early in the I morning? I didn't. No, I just I was looking at your face. Uh, it's okay if you've never seen The Sopranos. I only binged it recently, start to finish. I kind of watched a little bit of the first episode. I, I have to sit down and watch The Sopranos. I didn't do it. I did The Game of Thrones last summer. I binged it, so I have to do The Sopranos. Sopranos is and awesome. I've only watched the first couple of Breaking Bad, and I know that's that's tough for people to hear. So those are two two big shows I have to watch. Yeah, I'm sports. I'm sports. No, I, well, I, I just I would I was gonna ask you. I figure 14 years, and the reason we're playing the theme song and bringing it up is it was 14 years ago today that the Sopranos series finale aired. Mm. So I was going to ask you if you thought what happened to Tony at the end went one way or the other, but now I well, don't want don't don't to throw the spoiler out there. Yeah, I'm going to get That sounded so bad. What happened to Tony at the end went one way or the other. I'm going to I'm going to get to it sooner. It's been 14 years. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the statute of limitations on the spoiler <laughs> is out the window at 14 years. We'll take texts, <laughs> Sopranos fans. Is Tony? Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna get roasted right one now. One way or the other, and you know what I mean. <laughs> He's still sucking in oxygen and pushing out carbon dioxide. That that that's that's what I want to know. Alive or not alive? Tony Soprano, 14 years ago, the Soprano series finale. Pete Alonso. We'll get our tinfoil caps out and have some fun with Pete Alonso, and we'll play a little yay or nay. And that's before Kevin Barker joins us at 7.30 for a full half hour. playing Sopranos music? Why can't I play some music? I never get a chance no, to no, say no, what gets played what during the show. It sounds Nothing, like an just instrumental. A good, just, a, just, a good, just a good tune. Tony Braxton, like, pretty good. You know? It's make you classic. feel 12 again, or <laughs> what? Like, Tony Braxton was big in the early 90s, no? Yeah, this is, a, I mean, are you kidding me with this tune? This yeah. is one of the all-time greats. Yeah, this is like 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah, we might have to play this once a week, actually, I think if I had to, if I get to vote, this is nay. Oh, <laughs> thank you, Helena Balka. Helena, Helena jumping in. <laughs> well, too too mellow in the morning for you. I mean, we, I picked okay. the six thirty. I picked the six thirty song. That stuck, but that wasn't so much me. That was the listeners that were like down for that. Well, I think I think we're because we got to get our tinfoil caps out for a little fun with Pete Alonso here. I think we got to leave the Tony Braxton instrumental underneath. Why not? It's a nice bass. It's very nice. But you can't hear it on the pod. You can't hear the music on the pod. You know that, right? I know that. Okay. Oh, so we shouldn't be talking about it. Is that what you're saying? Is that what you're saying? And, <laughs> I try not hey, to talk about it. If you're not hearing the music because you're listening on the podcast later, it's a Tony Braxton instrumental. That's what we're I talking just, about. I, I know lots of people that listen to our pod later in the day. And, and they, they have no, they're and like, what they the hell no is he talking yeah. about? 
<laughs> so Pete Alonzo, the New York Mets. Here we go. He chimes in when asked about the sticky stuff. The what? The substances that pitchers are using to doctor baseballs. Sports Illustrated blew the lid off this about a week ago. There's been a lot of follow-up, more SI, ESPN. Ken Davidoff, friend of the show, asked Garrett Cole if he'd ever used spider tack. We had spider tack's co-founder, James Deffenbaugh, on the program the other day. Garrett Cole gave a rambling one minute, 15 second answer that was essentially saying yes without ever saying yes. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if, uh, I don't know quite, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. Thank you very much, Garrett Cole. Pete Alonzo took it 19 steps further. He's got theories. I think that the, the biggest concern is that uh, Major League Baseball manipulates the baseballs year in and year out, depending on the free agency class or guys being in an advanced uh, part of their arbitration. So I do think that's a big issue. Um, the ball being different every single year with other sports, the ball's the same, like basketball, football, tennis, golf, like ball's the same. So I think that that's the, that's the real issue with uh, the changing of the baseballs. And maybe if they didn't, the league didn't change the baseball pitchers wouldn't need to use as much sticky stuff. So Pete Alonzo, what you're saying is that if there's a heavy pitching class headed toward advanced arbitration where they're going to make more money or free agency, baseball juices the balls to help the hitters to suppress pitchers' salaries. But what you're saying is that if there's a heavy hitters' class approaching free agency, baseball will doctor the balls to favor pitchers to suppress positional player salaries. Do I have this right? Oh, no, that's that's a fact. I mean, guys have talked about it, but I mean, in 2019, there's a huge class of free agent pitchers. Uh, and then that's, quote unquote, the juice balls. And then uh, 2020 was a strange year with the COVID, uh, the COVID season. But now that we're back to playing a regular season with uh, a ton of shortstops or position players that are going to be paid a lot of money, like high, high caliber players, it's not a coincidence. And I think that if yeah, I, I, that's definitely, it definitely is something that they do. So this sounds insane. Okay. It sounds insane, but what it reflects, Ziggy, is a complete and total lack of trust that players have in the league itself. And keep in mind, all of this is part of the backdrop to what is to come the negotiation of a brand new CBA and the belief among many that we're going to have our first work stoppage in major league baseball since the 1994 player strike bled into the start of the 1995 season. It's almost so crazy. His theory that it could like, it's so ridiculous. I hope, I hope it's true. Like, is he kidding me? You're telling me the league's going to juice the balls, then all of a sudden allow pitchers to start cheating and they want to suppress hitting? Like, I'm sorry, it's crazy. Well, um, remember, just remember, I'll cut you off right there. Just remember this year they they wound the balls differently at the core in an effort to deaden them so that there would be fewer home runs. Remember yeah. that as well, right? So... I, I, I'm with you. There's That's exactly what I... The first thing I thought of was, this is so crazy... Uh, I, I, it, it probably could be true. 
And the second part of that is what you mentioned earlier. It's just that there's no trust in the league. I mean, how can you trust the league with everything that's happened from cheating to pitchers with the balls to uh, steroid use? Like, I know it's not on the league for all these things players are doing, but they're not policing certain things um, around teams not going out for the national anthems and Manfred coming on and saying, you know, getting caught talking about, oh, yeah, have them come out trying to get the publicity from it. Like, but also was the that? Deeper that was a new, stuff it like, was in New York. Like it was some crazy The manipulation stuff. of service time is. Yes, a there's every there's just so much going. There's the this league has so much going on that if you're a player. I, I, I don't blame them for not trusting the league. I, not at all. Like, how, how can you? And if, yeah, if you have their CBA is coming up. Yeah. Who knows? I just, but think about Pete Alonzo too, Ziggy. This is a guy who hit 50 plus home runs in his rookie season in 2019. So he is somebody who's getting close to arbitration eligibility and more expensive arbitration years. And he's looking at a season here in 2021, where, number one, the balls have been deadened in terms of how they're wound, in terms of how they're made, and you got pitchers who are using a bunch of gunk to enhance spin rate. So he's thinking to himself, I'm about to enter my prime earning years. Arbitration eligibility followed by free agency. I, I have a couple more 50 home run seasons, I'm going to be into the nine figures easy, easy. And so he's, I mean, he's motivated by, by his own financial gain and as he should be, but the conspiracy theory stuff, see that when, 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 when a relationship like one that is as important between a, a, the players and the league goes rotten Guys will start making up the worst-case scenarios in their mind. I have a really hard time believing that Pete Alonso is right, but it's also it's also not the stupidest thing, and I wouldn't put I wouldn't put anything past Major League Baseball. I would. Well, two years ago, I don't want to include last year, obviously with the shortened season, but two years ago, um, for home run leaders, what did they? Ha- how many guys? How many guys hit above forty home runs? Like I'm counting right now, I've got, I've got ten from from two years ago. How many guys do you think this year are gonna have forty home runs? Vladdy. And right now, well, Vladdy's at eighteen, Otani, right? And we're, we're, Acuna. Well, we're we're a couple games from halfway through the season, right? Are we not? Are we not at halfway through? Like, what? How many games are we at for? The, uh, I how think many games away, are we at for the Jays? Well, we're a ways off. The Blue Jays are what after the win last night? They're thirty-one and twenty-eight, so that is fifty-nine games played. So they're mm-hmm. they're twenty-two away from eighty-one, which is the halfway so, mark. So Vladdy's at eighteen right now. Um, yeah, I just how many guys do you think are going to get to? How many guys do you think are going to get to forty this year? And only two years ago, we had ten of them. Like, do you think do you think ten guys are going to get to forty home runs this year? No, I don't think I don't think ten will. So like, that's what I would keep looking at. Like, so what? That was a year they wanted to hit home runs and all of a sudden, you know, they're not going to hit. They're not even going to get close to it. Like, what would you say if not one person gets to 40 home runs this year when only a couple years ago, you know, guys were, you had 10 guys with 40 plus. Like, I think you have to start looking at different years. Well, no, but there's no, there's no debate that the, like that was a highly publicized thing before the season started that baseball was weaving the balls differently in order to try to deaden them a little bit 
to limit well, the number why, of home runs. This is, Alonso's this is the, reasoning is what stands out here. The allegations. Like, but do you think there's so the whole case the league was make was trying to do was like, wasn't the league and correct me if I'm wrong. They just they didn't want everyone swinging for the fences. They wanted to cut down home runs, but then they want to put the ball in play and kind of speed up the game, make it a little bit more interesting. Is that not part of the reason? Or is that completely that ridiculous? Was, that that was their claim. Yeah. But this gets this this now gets to what is at the heart of the matter with the doctoring of the baseballs. If you police this better, if you clamp down on this, this is and different folks will have different points of view on the degree of acceptability of all of this. Because baseball is a professionally a, a 150 plus year old sport in North America. And BS, to some degree, has gone on since it started, right? Spitballs, razors in the gloves to carve little gashes into the ball to enhance break on pitches, bunch of different things through the years. Sandpaper, pine tar, mixes of different substances, et cetera, et cetera. If you want more balls in play, you got to attack the cheating if it's gotten out of hand, because if guys have found substances or combinations of substances that enhance spin rate on their fastballs and breaking pitches to increase break, to enhance run with the high velocity on the fastballs, well, if if you knock a guy's spin rate down by a couple hundred revolutions per minute, as was the case in Garrett Cole's last start for the Yankees, and he got hit around a little bit, Chances are there will be more balls in play. There's movement on some of these pitches, Ziggy, that'll curl the, your hair. I, and but, and I, but but it's it's always been used. And Alonzo says this like there's a bag of rosin behind the. This is I said this yesterday, and I don't know if I want to be, you know, saying that Alonzo and me think the saying the same thing, but he says it. It's always been part of like it's always been part of the game, and then all of a sudden. The put like they're deadening the balls. Like it's kind of it's it's a little ridiculous. Just the the whole thing with doctoring the balls. Yeah. Um. I, just changing them, allowing pitchers to use whatever they want. Now all of a sudden it's an issue. It's almost like I was saying before. Like the league wants to keep this quiet. I think they want to make it. I think they want to use this as the headline. Oh yeah, pitchers with. All substances on the ball, you know, this is really changing the game. Oh, you mean to distract yeah, all, to distract yeah, from the true intentions? Throw this, throw this on the pitchers now. This is not on. Uh, this isn't the league. No, no, this is on the pitchers. Yeah, can you believe the pitchers are doing this? You think you would you put that past the major no, league I baseball? Wouldn't, well, that that's the way that we frame the whole Alonzo conversation. Is this sounds crazy, but at the same time, you can't put anything past these people. <laughs> You can't, and you have to remember that there's a CBA negotiation coming up here as well, and players are going to want, and there's going to have to be give and take at some point. Everybody fears a work stoppage, but but players want service time, manipulation, and other things addressed. The argument being that if you're not going to pay us the way that you used to when we're past 30 years old, because you've got all this data, and it's right, that our best years are in our 20s. Well, we don't break into baseball at 18 or 19. Well, break into pro ball. We don't break into the major leagues at 18 or 19 years old. For every Juan Soto, for every Bryce Harper, I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can be in that conversation. He broke in at 20. 
For every Vladdy Jr., there are thousands of guys who toil in the minor leagues and who don't make the big leagues in any consequential way or consistent way until they're about 23, 24, 25. Six years of service time later, they're 30 or 31 heading to free agency and teams are saying, you're too old. We're not giving you a seven-year contract. So they, they're trying to figure out how to maximize their earnings in the early stages of their career in a not dissimilar way that National Hockey League players are doing the same thing. And the Maple Leafs are a prime example. The second contract's given to Matthews and Marner and Nylander, et cetera. So it, it, it's, all, it's, it's a soap opera behind the scenes right now. And I think the message is enjoy what we've got this season because God only knows when the 2022 season is actually going to begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, it's so, it's so nuts, but yeah, maybe, maybe the leagues do it. Maybe this is their plan. It's so crazy though. Like Trump. if something comes up that this is really what happened, like, and I don't think we'll find out, like, we're not going to find out this year, maybe into next year, we'll get to the bottom of it. But I don't know. It's, it's so nuts. I, I just, it's one thing to think that it's another thing to sit in front of the media and talk about it. I, I give him credit. I mean, I, I do th- I and do it's think not it's some, too tinfoil it's, it's cap. It's, but. it's not some bench. It's not a fourth liner. Like, it's it's not some utility. No, player. and he's having a nice offensive year. I mean, he's not on a 50 home run pace. He had 53 in his rookie year in 2019. But he's having a good offensive year. He's got 10 home runs. Well above league average hitter based on all of the traditional and advanced metrics. So, I mean, that's a guy who's playing well, too. It's not like he's got a gripe. It's not like he's shanking it this year, just sucking and, and is... And is whining to the media he's having a good year so his voice his voice carries weight pete alonzo let's do a little yeah or nay rip through some of these Uh (laughs) uh-oh so lou lamarillo's new york islanders are into the stanley cup semifinals for a second consecutive year (laughs) i'm just i already know where this is going kyle dubas versus (laughs) lou lamarillo one in the semis back-to-back years The other, his team can't get out of the first round. The Leafs made the wrong choice in letting Lou walk to keep Kyle Dubas. (laughs) Hit Helena again. Yeah, there we go. I'm with you. I I yeah, I like I I think out of everybody, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this after the media availability with Dubas, Shanahan, and Keefe. I think out of every and and the players, he's the one guy that can be like, what I put together was a really good team. I've put together the skilled teams. I've changed that and moved the parts around. People wanted better defense. I got better defense. People wanted a different goaltender. I got a guy that came in and went 17 and three. People wanted more toughness. I got you Felino Simmons. Like what else, what else can he do? I, th- I think he's the one guy that can be like, I did my job. And it's amazing how many people I talk to when I go on Twitter, when we interact with our listeners and fans, how many people are, are upset with Kyle Dubas. This is not on Kyle Dubas. He's changed the coaches. Like what else do you want him I to think, do? I think it's it, initially it was Nylander and that's yeah, a great, that's that, a very good value contract. Now, I think people feel he got pantsed by Marner. 
And and look, the one thing he couldn't account for and the one thing Brandon Pridham couldn't account for, the capologist, was COVID. This was not supposed to be an $81.5 million salary cap still. And I know that that's eye-rolling and the Leafs frustrated the hell out of us again this this playoffs. But you could not have anticipated a flat cap. And so that $40 million sunk into the four players hurts a lot more if it's $40 million into 81 and a half than it would be if it was $40 million into 91 and a half. Well, here's the thing. If you don't like the Marner number at, at $10 million a year, what was it? Almost, uh, almost 11, uh, right? Closer to 11. Almost 10-9. Almost 10-something. 10 10 so yeah. then what's Marner's number? Like, what, what, would, what would the fans be happy with? Eight? Seven? Yeah. And that's a difference. That's, that's a player. That's a $3 million a year player. That's the difference. Yeah. He's good enough to be making that money. They just have to, he has to go out in the playoffs and, and he has to do it in the playoffs. I mean, at the end of the day, he shows, if he shows up in the play in the, in that first round, you're worth every penny. Like if you have a good playoffs, you can pretty much get paid anything you want. That's just what it's like, right? That's just life. And we talk about what players make and, the Nylander contract and Nylander was excellent in the playoffs this year, but you know, with I, people are upset with Marner. Yeah. I, and the contract, like I get it. I just, how can you be upset with the Marner contract and not upset with the Matthews? Like I, I, I think Matthews played better than Marner in the playoffs. And how many times are, am I going to say, okay, we're putting this, the playoffs to bed and I don't think it's going to happen. This is just like kind of the therapy. We just keep bringing it up and talking about it till it goes away. Price, but, price they pay for being a popular team in a popular sport in yeah. this city and country. Like, they I matter. think Matthews. I think Matthews played better than Marner. But if you're talking about the playoffs and getting past the first round, and you're going to bring up Marner's contract, how do you not bring up Matthews' contract? Because I think one of them had to show up for them to move on. And if one's not worth it, I don't think. Like, I don't think you can separate them from what happened in the playoffs. Like, if you're mad about the playoffs this year, just this year, you can't just take one of them. And I understand people are more upset at Marner. I agree, though. I, I think Matthews, had, for the most part, was better than Marner. But ne we needed more. Just like Nylander and Marner, the Hyman negotiation is going to get very public and somewhat ugly. Yay or nay? Um, I'm going to say... It's not so nay. I he's <laughs> nay. he's an he's a UFA unrestricted free agent. Uh, Marner and, and Nylander were under control by the Maple Leafs. I think it's going to be a very, I don't know, like I I, I don't think it's going to be that complicated. Um, for Hyman, like this is the number it's going to take for me to stay here. And the Leafs are you know, Leafs are are either going to say this is all we can afford right now. And then Hyman will probably just say, okay, well, I'll go to unrestricted free agency and maybe we'll circle back. Like that's right. Like, and I don't think it's going to be a situation. I don't think it's going to be a situation where the Leafs say, okay, take our deal now. And that's it. Like that's the only leverage the Leafs have, right? Well, is, the, the other we'll give you to the end of the week. Yeah, and hey, Hyman, I mean, what is it? July 28th is free agency. He'll, he'll have a contract signed by July 29th at the latest. So this isn't going to drag for weeks or months. Cause like you said, he's an unrestricted free agent. By the end of the night, the NHL semifinals will be fully set. Vegas beats Colorado and will host Montreal, joining Tampa Bay 
and the New York Islanders as well. Yay or nay, Vegas wins game six at home tonight. Yay, Vegas is going to go on. My favorite team in the league. I've picked them to win. You just love the city. That's it. Which, I haven't by the been way, to the city. You. I haven't been to the city in a long time. Um, you know, there. I had a buddy that was the assistant coach for the golf team at at uh, UNLV. I used to just roll in and play golf, and I have a lot of friends there. Like I have friends that I like. I don't stay at a hotel when I go. I know that's kind of crazy and weird for people, right? It's like the pool drinks and the gambling. And the hotels and the shows, like when I've gone to Vegas my last, you know, three, four times, I stay at friends' places. So I don't I don't have that same, I guess, when you think of Vegas, the, you know, all the partying and the clubs and all that stuff. I don't, yeah, that's, I'm, I golf, I go to all the shows. Uh, they have great restaurants. Um, but yeah, the Vegas that in my 20s is not the <laughs> Vegas. And it was. <laughs> Who's the bald okay, guy like, in the like, club? Uh, I'm with you. Vegas wins tonight. And lastly, uh, LeBron James, very quickly, LeBron James is changing his number from 23 to six. So he wore six in Miami, 23 in both Cleveland stops and so far in LA with merchandise being so expensive and jerseys being made dated by number changes. These types of decisions should not be allowed. Yeah or nay? Nay. Um, players should be, they can change their number, do whatever you want. I played with the Marlies three years in a row. I went 93 for Dougie. And then I went 17, I think for Wendell. And then I went back to seven, my number in junior. So I changed my number three years in a row. So there was 93 and 17 jerseys everywhere. And then I went back to seven and I can remember management coming up to me like, why are you changing your money? I'm like, you're never, I'm like, guys, I'm, I'm trying to increase Jersey sales here. Like you should be thanking me. Come on. But I don't think the fans were too happy. Like if there's any fans out there that want to change their number, because I was always changing my number from season to season, I'll pay for the number change. How about that? There you like go. The, like a player should have like LeBron should have to come out and pay for all those jerseys. William yeah. Nylander did that, right? When he moved from 29 to 88. He offered at the time, right? To cover the change. Yeah. Okay. Expense I've, on seen a number pl- of I've seen, I've seen players do it. Is there a reason LeBron is doing it? Well, Just he's wearing number, he's wearing number six in the space jam two movie two coming up. I think that he's in. Okay. And then he also wore six in Miami with uh, the heat. So it's a number yeah. close to his heart. I nay that one too. I mean, it, look, it's, Caveat emptor, if you want to be Latin, buyer beware. Do you wear six in Cleveland as well? No, he wore 23 in both Cleveland stops, 23 so far with the Lakers, six in his time with the Miami Heat. All right, Kevin Barker, we'll further the conversation on the doctoring of baseballs. Does Pete Alonzo have a point? (laughs) I can't wait. Barker defended Tyler Chatwood on Tuesday night. Chatwood looked pretty good in his inning of work last night, and it turned out to be key, keeping the Blue Jays close. In the bottom of the seventh, they came back, took the lead in the eighth. Kevin Barker, the text lines are open. We bark at Barker for a half hour next. QC's leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.
Jays get a win in Chicago last night. The top two teams in the division lose, Tampa Bay and Boston. So as we sit here this morning, the Jays are six back of first and in fourth place in the American League East. They are three games back of a wild card spot. The two wild card teams are Boston and Houston. Tampa Bay is leading the American League East. Alec Manoa, five innings last night. Was he sharp? Well, we'll talk to Kevin Barker about that. He certainly gave his team a chance to win. And Kevin Barker is with us, the co-host of Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, which you can hear 2 to 3 Eastern time each and every day here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, Kevin, is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Text lines open to 590-590 if you want to bark at Barker. Alec Manoa last night, Kev. Um, I mean, he had to battle. He might have gotten away with a couple of hanging sliders. But when he left the game, his team had a chance to win. Yeah, I guess you know it. it he he had the little, the little bad start. He, he erased that from his mind. He came back. You know, forcing command yesterday was great. Uh, what is his slider? What is his changeup? I'm not sure he knows. Does he have a, a put away pitch? Can he have a back foot slider to a lefty? Can he throw it down and away changeup to a lefty with two strikes? Can he elevate a heater? Is he able to do all three of those in in a same game? Um, can he make an in-game adjustment with his mechanics? He was having a lot of when the front foot was landing, spinning off the ball. That's why you were seeing the ball going up and away, up and in to a righty, up and away to a lefty. He would choke that, that four-seamer off occasionally because he was chasing velocity. You could see that he sometimes he'd throw 93. He thought that should have been 95, 96. He would the next pitch try and throw it a little bit harder. And That's a young guy. That's a young guy, you know, facing a pretty good team on the road, coming off a bad start. I'm with you. You know, five innings, you'll take that all the time. And, and I, hopefully he learned some things from that when it comes to just what it takes to be a, a, a big league starter, right? Because we saw when he when he's fielding a ground ball, he overthrew it to first base. Those are things that, that can't happen, you know, especially against good teams on the road. So it's it's a learning experience. Hopefully he can get better. I still think he needs a windup. I think that would, uh, you know, give him – a little bit of another pitch, right? That again, it gets back to that. Can he figure out ways to whatever the slider is and whatever the changeup is, develop those at the big league level? That's not going to be the easiest thing. There's really good hitters who occasionally will hunt a cement mixer on occasion, and that 88 mile an hour changeup that doesn't do a ton, they're going to hunt those. They're going to hit those hard. Is that going to bother him? Can he develop those? And I just think if he had a windup. That'll add a little bit more deception. That'll give him a little bit easier way to finish his pitches, at least when his misses, their, his misses will be a little bit better. But that's wishful thinking. I'm with you. He gave him a chance. Uh, that's a big win for the Blue Jays on the road. Well, and, uh, different people handle things in, in different ways, Kevin, and we all know that. What I would wonder, though, right, is that aside from the fact that his second start, the Miami start, coming off the brilliance at Yankee Stadium in his Major League debut – it didn't go nearly as well. One of the things that got discussed out of that Miami start was the fact that the fastball velocity was down two, two and a half miles per hour. Yeah. Right? Where he was 95, 96 at Yankee Stadium. He was 93-ish against the Marlins. And so you talk about chasing velocity. You wonder how much of that lives in the back of his mind. And then you wonder how many times he might be peering at the scoreboard for the MPHs in the not-so-dissimilar way to the way that you say hitters will look up at the scoreboard early in the season, see an 0-70 batting average, and, and that sure. affects them. 
Well, he's young. He's a young guy that, that, you know, threw a certain way at the minor league level when he's at the big leagues. Now he doesn't have the velocity that he had. Maybe he, this is who he is. Maybe he is a 93, 94 guy, not a 95, 96 guy. His fastball plays. You know, if he can control that a little bit better to both sides of the plate, again, I, you know, I said this on Baseball Central yesterday, he is not a command guy. He's not going to go, you know, in, out, up, and down. It's not, it's not going to happen. He's not, not right now mechanically capable of doing that. But he can go in. He can go away occasionally. He can go up. Uh, he, it seems to me like the, the, the ball into a lefty, he, he's able to do that, which is a big deal. You got to show it that little comeback sinker where you started at the front hip with the left handed hitter and it has that little run back and you see, uh, you know, occasionally last night you saw the lefty throw his hands up that gave up up, up on the hater. That seems to have a little bit better tunneling and, and a little bit later life to it. The sinker was good. The forcing command wasn't great. Again, it's for me, it's the secondary stuff. He, he just doesn't really have one. What, what, what is the slider? Is it a, a steel pitch? Is it a can he develop a put-away pitch? The changeup for me throws it too hard, right? If, it, if, he's, if his fastball velocity is 92-93, his, his changeup's 89, it's just not good enough. That that's a BP heater for a big league hitter, and that's something he needs to work on. It's it's everything that comes just being a big leaguer. And I, and I, I said this, uh, Baseball Central again, that that not far removed from college where he pitched every Friday. What's his routine? Does he have one? Does he even know how when he's you know wake up today and he's sore? What's he going to do? He's got. Two days to two or three days to figure it out instead of four or five days to figure it out. That that's the big difference, and he's a work in progress. But I you you got to like what you're seeing on the mound, the demeanor and the, and the attitude and those kind of things. You know, we saw the Tim Anderson mm-hmm. didn't really like the staring and was yelling out about the slider. Right, you you threw me a slider down the middle, and that's Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson's a talker. But I, I said this to you the last time I, when Alec Manoa threw. How is a a hitter who has you know a bigger mouth or is struggling who who is, has some clout at the big league level going to handle that staring thing. I know if I were a big time player, that would bother me a little. And will he change that? Will he continue to do that? Now he is 6'6", 260, and he seems to not care what people think, but you got to be good. If you're going to stare at people, there, there's some things that come with that of, you know, you got to get some people out. And that, that's, that'll be an interesting thing to see what, too. Does the start of the game, though, I know you said he overthrew the first base. Well, Reese McGuire also looked like he threw one right down in the strike zone uh, that yeah. got by Reese McGuire. It's, it's almost like I've been in those games, especially as a young player, where you have a bad start, bad first inning, bad first shift, and then things can unravel. I feel like that he showed me more in the game coming back from that first inning than anything he's done so far in these three games. How important is that for a pitcher to kind of go through that and early on in his career? Because that's something we know we, when Pearson came up, it's when things are tough, what, what are you made of now? And it just seems like Alec Manoa, we talked about his mental approach, but that showed me more than anything he's done so far. Like take away the velocity or yeah. his, how many strikeouts or, you know, how few walks he's had. I just think that for a guy to come back from the first inning is impressive. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about you guys, but I don't question what's between his ears. I, I, I think he has a lot of confidence. He has confidence in himself. If he makes a mistake, if he has a bad start, he'll forget it real quick. It's the other stuff. It's the command of the four seamer. It's the does he have enough sink on the sinker? Again, it's the secondary stuff. It's it's mechanically, can he keep the six six and all in order and have a good finish to it? it can he not let the team and who he's facing dictate how he's going to throw them? He has good stuff. He has good fastball. It's I I. I 
establish my fastball. I feed off all of those things again. I, I, all the other things that go with with being a big leader. I don't, I don't really th- worry about that. It's now you develop command and develop secondary stuff, which the secondary stuff developing at the big league level, that will be the hardest part. He's going to get hammered occasionally with that slider. He's going to get hammered with the changeup. Do you continue to throw it if you're getting hammered with it? That's you know, he is 24. He does. He did have 35 innings at the minor league level. He's only had three starts at the big league level. He is a work in progress, but you'll take this then the Nate Pearson with the two and a third. How about that? Kevin Barker with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fans. So the Blue Jays down two to one, top of the eighth inning. They have some things start to go their way with one out, Riley Adams, a pinch hitting for Reese McGuire, swings through a third strike, ball gets away from Yasmani Grandal. He reaches first base. Marcus Simeon bounces one off home plate, infield single, Bo Bichette opposite field, Base hit, bases loaded, one out. Vladdy walks, so that forces home the tying run. White Sox make a pitching change now in a 2-2 game, and Teoscar Hernandez works a 3-0 count. Pitch four is probably a ball, but if it's called a strike, you take it because you're still in a 3-1 count, and that's not your best pitch to hit. Teoscar swings, though. Yeah. And he grounds into what should have been a double play, if not for a throwing error, on the back end of that double play, and the Blue Jays take the lead. So if that double play, Kevin, is turned as it should have been, we're talking about the 3-0 count, the green light versus the take, when it's yeah. appropriate, when it's not. What is your what is your general opinion on how to approach 3-0? 3-0 is common sense. If you're hitting at the bottom of the order, you're probably not going to have 3-0 able to be swinging 3-0. Teos Hernandez hitting cleanup. Now, I understand the last seven games hitting a buck 54, but he is hitting cleanup. He, he, the last couple of days, he, say, he faced some really good pitching, some really good right-handed pitching from the Astros. He faced Rodon yesterday who was throwing a gazillion miles an hour with that slider. It's not the easiest thing. You can get in a slump quick, but, you know, he is still really quiet at the plate, that lower half, that – that little knee turn with the heel raise and, and the, the front foot doesn't gain a ton of ground to the target. That's a big deal. He, he, he understands who he is. He just needs to get a little bit better pitch to hit. That That's now the separator is can he consistently – I'm not talking about twice a week. I'm talking about consistently every game, every other at bat, every, you know, bringing it down to every at bat, getting a good pitch to hit that he can drive somewhere in the big part of the field. Can he do that? He's trying to, he's trying to do something for his team. You know, he knows where he's hitting in the order. It's, you take a little step back, you go, maybe I shouldn't have swung a 3-0 pitch that's three inches off the plate. That's a pitcher's pitch, you know, and, and the guy, I, I'm the one guy that I don't think the White Sox are as good as their record says they are. I know their starting pitching is really good, is really good. And, and Lance Lynn with the, with the three different fastballs and and Rodon with that 99. Look, they're starting pitch, you can't argue. But the rest of their game, defensively, they're not great. They don't hit a bunch of home runs, which is what you have to do in 2021. They play in the worst division in baseball. We saw their bullpen last night. That Does that, a lot of those guys scare you? I'm not sure. If you, Liam Hendricks is not in the game. I'll take my chances, but you know it, it is what it is. That, again, that that's one of those games where you had a halfway decent start from a starting pitcher who's coming off a bad start. Uh, your bullpen looked really good. Tim Mesa's thrown harder. Anthony Castro came in throwing ninety eight. Where's ninety eight come from? 
that that was kind of nice. Uh, Tyler Chatwood all of a sudden found his cutter again. You know, he, he came out with that that uh, conversation he had with Hazel where he said he, he might have was being pitched too much. You pitch what se- seven out of ten days that that's a lot of pitching. You know, the, you start aiming baseballs, you leave balls over the middle of the plate, you can't throw strikes. So maybe they found a little bit better routine when it comes to how much they're pitching him, how much they get him up, that kind of thing. Look, the cutter looked like it had a little bit more bite to it. The sinker's sinking. The four seamers got life to it. That's a big deal. They can add him to the mix and. You get George Springer back, look, you could argue. I'm, I'm still with the, the Astros, one through five, have one of the better lineups in baseball. But you add George Springer to the mix, you take a little bit of pressure off of everybody else because of George in the lineup. There's going to be a lot of getting it down, getting it singing. And, and that should be a lot more fun to watch. But I, I got to admit, every time they pan the camera over to George Springer and he's got his legs propped up on the, on the bench there, it, it's a little bit of a frustrating watch. Just uh, because you've you've seen him run the bases now, and and you should think that it's it should be moving along a little a little quicker. I don't know about you guys, but but it just seems like it might have been a little worse than than they were letting on because he's really not doing anything right. It's not being productive. It's I understand he's running the bases and maybe he's taking the BP and he's laughing and every time you see him, he's look how far I'm hitting the baseball. But the bottom line is he's not in AAA playing center field for three or four days in a row, and that's that's a little bit of a frustrating well, thing, just, I think. Just before Ziggy jumps in, Kev, I mean, we had we had cake and balloons on Monday <laughs> after we found out that spring around the bases on the weekend. <laughs> but don't, what, ruin, what, don't ruin our celebration. I'm not I'm not saying that. That's that's a good step. But you would think, you know, I, I had heard that he was going down on the day off and, and he was, he was, should be playing in a game on Tuesday in, in AAA. And then you pan over yesterday and today and he's sitting on the bench. It's... You know, where the Blue Jays are at again, right? The, the, the American League East is no joke, right? The, the, Blue Jays, the Blue Jays won. The Yankees won. The two teams in front of them lost. And the Blue Jays lost ground in the standings. It's like, you know, it's, it's just it's, they need him back, and they need him back in a hurry. I had one more follow-up to the Teoscar 3-0 Double should have been a double play with Anderson. Did you not think Vladdy interfered with Anderson going to the bag or sticking his arm out? Of course he did. But I I, I watched that. that That's a veteran play, is it not? Not really. I watched that three or four times. That's no outcome of of Tim Anderson throwing a ball over the first baseman's head. I I didn't think. I watched that three or four times. It was he'd already caught the ball. He'd taken a step across the bag. You know, that that was just a guy that didn't make a good throw. You know, it's did, did Vladdy stick his hand out? Of course he did. You know, it's that you, you can't, you can't t- t- sort of teach an old dog new tricks. Now, I understand he's 22 years old, but it's that thing. He saw his dad used to do it, right? Be running into second base to second base or shortstop run across to throw it to first. And you want to do anything you can to help your, your team. It's very hard to, you know, stick your hands to the side of your legs and not, not you just don't want to reach out and, and try and do that. Yeah, they got away with it. You ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I guess. Well, so it should it should have been like with the new rule because before you used to be able to bulldoze or well, I don't I don't know why Tony Larusa didn't bother. I know it's the can you challenge can you challenge well, that? I, yeah, but I mean he could have asked the umpires to review it because you're yeah. past the seventh inning. But uh, Tony Larusa is probably using his Commodore sixty four, and the replay <laughs> didn't come in quick enough for him. Jeez, <laughs> like, that's awesome. I don't know. I think Anders. I think Anderson makes the throw. I know it's an Aaron throw, but I think he makes it if Vladdy doesn't stick his arm oh, out. Oh, here we go. That is a uh, 
Get the bacon on the frying pan sizzling I'm sound. I'm telling you, going. I just that watched it tape. again four times. I, saw, I, I, I just I just saw a stat here that the White Sox made 44 errors this year. That's second worst in baseball. Look, they're not a very yeah. good defensive team. They throw the ball yeah. all over the place. You know, we saw Brayu at first base yesterday not stretching for balls, not looking the ball into his glove. They're not a good defensive team. I, again, I know what the record says they are. But they do do not do some things that a first-place team should do. And, and it, it hide, the, the, what, the division they play in, it hides it. Like, like, again, you gotta, you got to ask yourself, the Blue Jays made 44 errors. Where would they be at in the American League? East? I know they can't go any lower than what they are because the Orioles are what the Orioles are. But they would be a lot further behind in the American League East, and, and we wouldn't be thinking about, well, what are they going to do in the bullpen, and do they need to go out and get another starter, and can they get an everyday third baseman, and do they need an everyday catcher? We wouldn't be talking about those things this year because they're not playing good defense, and they'd be so far behind that, you know, they, 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 couldn't, come for, they couldn't come back. But it is what it is. Again, th- th- that was a big game for the Blue Jays, right? Lance Lynn's a, a very good pitcher. He's commanding the, commanding the strike zone. You know, some of your better hitters uh, – have had some bad games the last couple of days. You you came from behind. The bullpen showed up. Anthony Castro, Tim Mesa, Tyler Chatwood. Chatwood showed up. You Jordan, talked Jordan about Romano, him Jordan Romano. Right. Jordan Romano, for me, sometimes a little head scratching because he does throw 99 miles an hour. And when he comes in the game, occasionally he doesn't want to throw it. And then you have to have a powwow and, and have three or four people come out there and go, hey, bro, you do know you throw 99 miles an hour. Let's see it. Maybe that's there again. This is the big leagues, and guys learn in, 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 at different times. It's just I'd love to see him know that 99 is very hard to hit. It's not easy. If I can establish that, I don't even have to, to, to make it a perfect pitch. Just get it close, right? Think outer thirds, away from the lefty, into uh, away from the righty. That's all you got to do. It's 99 miles an hour. Two strikes, you can elevate it, and then that slider can feed off of that. I just, you know, I would love to see that a little bit more. We'll get you barking at Barker. Uh, five ninety-five ninety is the text line in just a moment. Read some of those. And does Kevin have a tinfoil cap he can put on as we play him the Pete Alonzo audio and get his reaction? He's got some serious stones, don't he? He, I mean, it is, especially heading into the CBA labor war, which really is already underway we will play that audio get kevin's reaction in a moment but you know kevin barker is the co-host of baseball central here on sportsnet 590 the fan he and jeff blair two to three eastern time each and every monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday pete alonzo of the new york mets he's got some theories when asked about pitchers doctoring baseballs i think that the the biggest concern is that uh major league baseball manipulates the baseballs year in and year out depending on the free agency class or guys being in an advanced uh, part of their arbitration. So I do think that's a big issue. Um, The ball being different every single year with other sports, the ball is the same, like basketball, football, tennis, golf, like balls the same. So I think that that's the, that's the real issue with uh, the changing of the baseballs. And maybe if they didn't, the league didn't change the baseball pitchers wouldn't need to use as much sticky stuff. All right. So Pete, what you're saying is what you're saying is, is that if, the free agency class for this coming off season is heavy on pitchers. They'll doctor the ball to enhance offense, but if it's heavy on hitters, they'll doctor the ball to decrease offense. Oh no, that's, that's a fact. I mean, guys have talked about it, but I mean, in 2019, there's a huge class of free agent pitchers. Uh, and then that's quote unquote, the juice balls. And then 
2020 was a strange year with the COVID, uh, the COVID season. But now that we're back to playing a regular season with uh, a ton of shortstops or position players that are going to be paid a lot of money, like high, high caliber players, it's not a coincidence. And I think that if, yeah, that's definitely, it definitely is something that they do. So, Kevin, I think the backdrop here is the fact that there's a labor war that has been underway in baseball for more than a year, and it's going to culminate in what is yep. going to be a very contentious negotiation or an ongoing contentious negotiation that could eat in to next season, presuming that there's a lockout and the first true bit of labor strife in the sport since the 1994 players' strike wiped out the start of the 95 season after wiping out the 94 World Series that's yeah. always here. Like the Alonzo thing sounds so crazy. It's like he ate a bunch of peyote and then threw on a tinfoil cap. <laughs> but then I think to myself, I wouldn't put anything past Major League Baseball. Do you think Major League Baseball could come out and say, no, what Pete Alonzo said was totally false? That's what yeah, I'm saying. No, but it, sound, it sounds so ridiculously conspiratorial that it can't be real. And that what that's what makes me wonder... Uh, Anything's possible. I wouldn't put anything past anybody at this point. Yeah, but it's real. It sure sounds like that that the strike's looming because basically what he said there is they're costing players money, and we all know that it's about money. Yep. The more money you cost us, uh, the better chance you got us of us leaving, and that's never a good thing for baseball. A lot of baseball fans want to see baseball, and that that's never a good thing. It, it is sort of that thing, right? That Major League Baseball gets you looking over here and do this. That, that's sort of what they've done with the sticky stuff. Get you looking over here. Because I, I watched Garrett Cole last night. Garrett Cole didn't really seem like it mattered. You know, he made Josh Donaldson look like he wasn't a big licker. And and it, I, I'm sure they were they were making sure that he would, didn't have any sticky stuff on his fingers. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't help. And I'm not saying RPMs can't go up. But his, his breaking stuff last night looked like it was exactly the way it looked a couple of starts ago. And, you know, it, this, this, is, this is an ongoing problem for major league baseball because it doesn't ever seem like the players and the commissioner's office are on the same page or not even close but because this is what it is pete alonso this this is he's just not getting this himself he's obviously talked to his buddies he's talked to people that matter with the union and they've they've come to the realization that they'll get you looking over here and they'll do this right they'll doctor the baseballs they'll they'll juice it up when those pitchers are are on in are in free agency uh you know the commissioner does work for the owners so what he said Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I said the same thing to Scotty earlier. It's almost like it's so crazy that I think it's true in the fact that we've seen the league, league leagues, but they want to, you know, look at this. Where we're looking, well, the pitchers. Yeah, it's all about the spire tack. Like it's all about what what they're using. But it's no one's talking about the fact that the league is deadening the balls. And I just think at this point, I I don't know why more players aren't speaking up about it. Um, are they scared of the league? Are they scared of the teams? Like, is well, it one you, of those situations? Ziggy, you, Ziggy, you know as well as anybody because you played in a, in a professional sport that only certain guys can speak out like this. Pete, Pete Alonso mm-hmm. is not far removed from 50 big ones. You know, he, mm-hmm. and he plays in New York, which is a big market, and he knows if he says it to one guy, uh, everybody will hear it. That's... Again, this this gets back to behind closed doors. You know, the union's talking about this. They, they they know that this is going on. For a guy like that, you know, I'm not saying he's one of the greater players in baseball, but he does have a big voice because of where he plays and what he's coming off for from the, the not far removed 50 home run thing. It's it's just that when you when you think of it 
and you, then you actually hear a player say it out loud, that's a big difference. That that would just tell you that that's something I think's bad's coming, and it's not going to be good for baseball. Well, and I think the other part too, Kevin, is that Pete Alonso's having a pretty good year, so yeah. it doesn't come off as sour grapes. It's not my numbers are way down because they deadened the baseball. It's well, I'm having a pretty good year, and I can speak to this. Like, yeah, I guess he. I guess anybody, that helps him talk, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and this won't surprise us. When is Pete Alonso's first arbitration eligibility? The end of this season. Yeah. Right? I mean, he's playing in his third full year in the big league. So he'll hit arbitration at the end of the year, and that's when he's he's going to start getting paid. So it, Yeah, the, yeah the, home, the home runs that used to go 450-plus feet are going a little over 400. I, saw, I did see him hit a home run or a couple of them in Baltimore, and they were – I don't want to say they were wall scrapers, but he was getting his arms extended. So he has to have – you know, he has been in, in the trenches and seen that when he hits a ball that he hit two years ago that went as far as it went, ain't going as far as it's going. This is when, again, you're right, it's, it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to say it out loud and let everybody hear it. And th- this, this is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. And, and this is not going to be a good thing for baseball, right? It's, it's a, they're, he basically said that the commissioner's office is getting you looking over here. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this. Mm. That's, that's not a good thing. Let's bark at Barker on the text line, 590-590. Bishop Barker from Winston in Hawksville. What do you think of Reese McGuire's defense behind the plate? I thought he cost Manoa a lot of strikes early by not setting up in the middle, plus the pass ball that cost him a run. I want to see more of Riley Adams. Do you think Adams could take the catcher's job and run with it? Yeah, I think if he, that's a great question. I think if he's hitting, they're, they're, they're begging for somebody to come up and hit and take the, you know, the five-day-a-week catcher spot. That's... Would you uh, would you be love lost if Danny Jansen you know played twice a week? I wouldn't, right? Danny Jansen's had a big enough leash offensively that we sort of figuring out what he is now. The, the elevated fastball, the shift against him, uh, the 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 mechanical thing. Maybe he's just not a very good hitter. Maybe he's a two hundred hitter who can hit ten homers. Is that what you want as an everyday catcher? I probably don't. You know, Riley Adams. We saw him hit a ninety nine mile an hour fastball off the wall in in center field off a left handed. Pitcher, that, that's not too bad, right? He's a big target behind the plate. He looks like a, a good blocker. He has tons of confidence when he puts the fingers down. Now, for a young guy catching some veteran guys, that's not the easiest thing to do, right? Robbie Ray, I could see Shook one time, and he put the same finger down. Like, he's very, you know, demonstrative on what he wants to call and when he wants to call it. And, look, I, I like everything about him. I, I think he is, you know, he needs to work on some receiving. He needs to work on st- – quote, air quote, still in strikes. Uh, he needs to work on accuracy when it comes to throwing. We have seen a, a bounce throw to second. We saw that wild throw to, to third base last night. But those are work in progresses. If he's hitting a little bit and pitchers love to throw to him, look, if, if Reese McGuire is the one guy you want to hang your hat on, go ahead. But me, me personally, I think it's up for grabs. And if Riley Adams is doing his thing offensively, for me, he's playing. Do you care that they're, they seem to be chasing it with a bunch of young catchers? I sure. mean, there's no veteran fallback here. Sure. It, right? just, it just seems like they spent all their money on a center fielder and forgot that 
you know, D- Danny Jansen's still going to have his problems offensively and, and lengthwise in their lineup. Then I'm, I'm assuming they were figuring that, that because George Springer is there, that will make it long enough one through five. And you hope that some of your outfielders take off and, and maybe that's given your length and you can hide some of the, the weaknesses offensively at the bottom of your, of your lineup. But yeah, I, I just think it's, they need a veteran guy that can get young pitchers like the Nate Pearsons through some things that they can't get themselves through. Like that, like that. Whenever a guy you know is chasing to set up off four, five, seven inches up off the plate, right, and not that way when he misses, it's a for sure miss. That's so he can set up another pitch. It's just little things like that that a pitcher doesn't have to think about. That a, that a veteran guy who's been there and done it behind the plate can give him. I I just you know nothing nothing against Danny Jansen, nothing against Reese McGuire, but I've seen enough of those two. Last one for you, Dirk and Whitby putting you on the spot. Will you be making Euro 2021 picks? No. No? No. <laughs> That's too bad because I was going to say take Scotland mm. all the way. All I the mean, way. If, it's, if it's up to Blair, but, but you know, because they are, they are hard to say, those names. Well, the, con- the countries are easier, but the, the Bundesliga deal that you had, that was – I remember doing that once with you, and I couldn't say the words. I couldn't say the city and team nicknames. You were better at it than me. Huh. There you well, go. I, do, I, I do have a little twang in my voice. But, no, the answer to the, the, that question is absolutely not. Well, Dirk and Whitby's heart breaks. Uh, we'll leave it there, pal, and we'll do it again on Tuesday morning. We always enjoy the insight. Love the segment. Thank you. Okay. Have a good weekend, everybody. You bet. Ke- Kevin Barker. Uh, Baseball Central, 2-3 to each and every weekday alongside Jeff Blair here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, and you know that Kevin is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Each and every Thursday after the 8.30 break, it's Stewie and Bourne for Hockey Central at 8.30. Rick DiPietro, former New York Islanders goaltender, now of the DiPietro, Rothenberg, and Canty show on ESPN 98.7 New York. He'll be along in about 15 minutes' time. And up next, he's a former Leaf. He plays for the Ottawa Senators now. And he had a huge, huge tournament as Canada won the World Hockey Championships gold medal. Two goals, 14 assists, 16 points in 10 games. Had the beautiful assist on the overtime winner scored by his teammate in Ottawa, Nick Paul. Connor Brown, GTA guy, is our guest Here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Blue Jays 6, White Sox 2, a 3-run 8th, a 2-run ninth. The difference for the Blue Jays last night, they got a record of 31-28. and 28. Tonight's the rubber match, Jays and Sox in Chicago. First pitch a little after 8 o'clock on Sportsnet 1. And Sportsnet 590, the fan, Hyunjin Ryu, will get the ball for the Blue Jays. The New York Islanders joining Tampa Bay and Montreal in the Stanley Cup semifinals. A 6-2 victory in Game 6 over the Bruins in front of 12,000 rowdy fans at the Nassau Coliseum last night. Game 6 between Vegas and Colorado goes tonight in Sin City. If Vegas wins, they advance and would host Montreal. If Colorado wins, Game 7 will be played in Denver later this week. And, of course, the winner of the Avs and the Golden Knights takes on Montreal. The Islanders will take on Tampa in the Stanley Cup semifinals, and just like last year, although it was in a bubble, uh, Tampa Bay will have home ice advantage. NBA playoffs, Phoenix 123, Denver 98. We've got some Denver head coach Mike Malone tape to play a little bit later on this hour. 
Mike Malone says, Phoenix fans chanting sweep. If we keep playing the way we're playing, we're going to get swept. Effectively mm-hmm. said his team quit. And of course, Mike Malone is the son of Brendan Malone, the Raptors first ever head coach, but Phoenix now got a two games to none series lead. That series shifting to Denver tonight. It's game three. Brooklyn is into Milwaukee. The Nets with a two games to none series lead. The Bucks have looked terrible. Mike Budenholzer, their head coach, his future is in doubt if the Bucks go out looking as badly as they have. And then game two between the Clippers and the Jazz in Salt Lake City. Utah's a beautiful state, Ziggy, right? Huh? Love it. You love Utah. Uh, the Jazz Utah. have a one game to none series lead. That one is on late 10 o'clock tonight. Connor Brown of the Ottawa Senators, Team Canada star at the World Hockey Championships, will join us in, in just a little bit. I, I think I think we've all bought ourselves tinfoil caps on the Pete Alonzo stuff. I think we're right I mean, into I it. Just, it's just, it's a crazy story. And it's like I said, it's so crazy that it's probably true. And the league has They've done stuff like this before and how much can they be trusted? And you mentioned that I I'm with you. I it's now it's all about the balls and what the pitchers are doing. How about what the league is doing? How about the actual ball? Why don't they, I'm surprised more players aren't talking, talking up about it. I just, it's if, if you're a guy that's having an off year this year, how are you? How are you not upset? If your deal is up, how can you not say something? Maybe more players will come out. Usually it's that first guy the co- that says something and then all of a sudden the questions start flowing with you know reporters and and some of the stars and they get we get to hear their point but i at this point i just the league i just can't trust them well, and alonzo if he's right this will be crazy don't forget and this has happened before there have been different conversations about the notion of an international draft in previous cba negotiations because Players born in North America and Puerto Rico, because Puerto Rico is a satellite U.S. state, are drafted. Players from Latin America, Venezuela, etc., the Dominican Republic, other, other island nations, they sign as free agents as young as the age of 16. And the league has successfully in the past used issues like that to drive a wedge between different segments of players. Right now, what could be happening, Ziggy, or part of the intent is to drive a wedge between hitters and pitchers, Mm -hmm. right? Try to divide and conquer, divide the union heading in. I I keep saying heading in because the CBA ends at the end of this season we're really not heading into a negotiation although there isn't much talking happening now but there have been preliminary talks we're not heading into a negotiation we're in one and the wartime tactics are out so i i think there's a lot of strategy behind the scenes here i think this has a lot to do with it divide 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 the players yeah and i don't think uh, like a work stoppage or a stalemate between the union and the league. I don't think now is the time um, with the pandemic and trying to get the, the pro leagues back to where they were pre pandemic. I don't think now, <laughs> I don't think a lockout would do anyone any good. They never do, but I think now's a terrible time. So uh, for the league to kind of try to wedge the, you know, get in between the players and the, the, the hitters and pitchers. I just, I don't, they're trying to divide the union. Obviously that's been used in the past, but 
it's not something I would go after right now and not an approach I would use. Major League Baseball, though, how many times <laughs> we talk? It seems like we we're, there's something every couple months with them, right? There's always something going on, whether it's the baseballs, deading them, juicing them, um, rule changes. Like it's always something with with the league. And I at this point, trying to you know get in between the players and and getting players to fight each other, it it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, and and don't just follow the money in any of this. Follow it all the way into the pockets of whoever ends up walking away with it. Here is Mike Malone. I reference this in the update. Mike Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, if it's a last name that is familiar to you, his father, Brendan, was the first ever head coach of the Toronto Raptors when the Raps broke in in 95-96. So Denver is down two games to none to the Phoenix Suns, losing both games so far in that series in Phoenix, second-round series out in the Western Conference. Phoenix fans chanting sweep as that game ended. Denver head coach Mike Malone, he, he wants to argue with him, but can't bring himself to. Uh, this was an embarrassing performance um, from myself all the way through the last player. You know, uh, we're walking out of here with our heads uh, held down, rightfully so. And there's a reason that their crowd is yelling sons in four and they're calling for a sweep because if we play like this back in Denver, uh, this is going to be a really quick series. We've had some coaches speak up about different things, right? Bruce mm-hmm. Cassidy in a bit of a different yeah. way, calling out the officials, but... Mike Malone doesn't have any patience. I mean, they've got the NBA MVP and uh, Nikola Jocic, and uh, and, mm-hmm. and and they're they haven't shown up. This is the Chris Paul story, right out there in Phoenix right now. And is he is he finally going to chase down that that ring that that Larry Ob that's eluded him? Uh, Denver does not have Jamal Murray. That can never be part of a Nuggets conversation at this point. Um, you, you can't have a Nuggets conversation without highlighting the fact that Jamal Murray's not healthy. Uh, they're going to have to turn it around quick, though, again, game three, if they're going to have a chance. Well, Chris Paul's had that injury, right? What was his shoulder, his elbow's been bothering him. So, I, I mean, he was he looked like the MVP that he is. Like, it's just, he finished with 17 points. He had 15, five rebounds. 15 yeah, fi- yeah, 15 assists. So, I, he had no turnovers, He's just 26 assists and just one turn turnover in, in both of them so far. So, I mean, he looks like an MVP. He's a guy that we've all talked about is, is like you said, is, is this the year for him? Um, I don't know how much of a favorite they are to go the rest of the way and win it all, but we've talked about Chris Paul a lot and, and chasing championships and he has the skill to do it. Can he just go out and you know, it's going out there in the playoffs and performing at the right time. But he's been battling something, right? He's got that shoulder injury. So working yourself through something like that, I think basketball's one of the toughest to do it. I just feel like in hockey, sore shoulder, we you know, we throw ourselves in a huge sling. Um, sprained ankle, we tape it up. But basketball, like one little thing, and it's like you can't go out there and do the job that you want to do. But Chris Paul's been, he's been excellent in the in the first two and yeah, it's going to be, are they going to sweep? Yeah, the way I was watching last night, for sure. That's, I don't doubt it at all. But I, just Denver, like how, I just like how open the Western Conference is right now. And, and the fact that Kawhi is there, the Clippers got through. That was a roadie series until Game 7 against Dallas. And they're going to try and get back on the horse. It was a close one in Utah the other night. Uh, the Jazz are the top seed in the West. So it's a little topsy 
turvy, right? Utah's been on a build for the last few years. Denver, I think the Murray injury just, again, can't be stated enough, but they've been on an upswing in the last few years. LeBron is out. The Lakers are out. The purple and gold are gone. It's good. There isn't necessarily a highlight or a marquee team left out West, but there's some real good competition there, right? And obviously our interest in Kawhi, we keep our eye on it. Yeah. Uh, well, Kawhi, I mean, we don't know what he's going to do, right? It's the, if like, if Kawhi, if, if the Clippers get knocked out, like what, like, what would you think like at this point? Well, Utah is the number one seed, right? Yeah. I mean, this, this is no slouch that they're up against here, but like, I think if they lose against Utah, I don't think it's the same as in the bubble last year. Like at, at this point, I think they're, they're going to make a lot of changes. If, the, if, if they, they have to win it all, like Kawhi and the Clippers have to win it all and uh, losing against Utah. I don't think it, like you're going to run into really good teams. Like, like you said, Utah's the best. And in you're the league. not going to have home court. And if you're going to take nights off and do the load management deal in the regular season to prepare for the second season, you might end up dropping some games that you otherwise would not have. So you mm-hmm. got to be able to go on the road and win in the playoffs. The Raptors did. Kawhi Spurs did over periods of time. They're more than capable, I would think, of doing it against the Jazz. They're going to have to tonight. Uh, Rick DiPietro is on the phone line now. So the uh, former New York Islanders goaltender, he is uh, one of the hosts of the DiPietro, Rothenberg, and Canty show on ESPN 98.7 New York. He's a friend of the program. Did you party last night? Did you celebrate or did you get to bed so that you were good and fresh for the radio today? I have not slept yet. I am. Are you lying? Like, really? No, I'm not lying. No, four coffees deep now? No, I didn't listen. I didn't intend to. I was watching the game. I had the Mets on. I had the Yankees on and everything else. And then, you know, I'm nervous. I'm anxious because the last thing I want to do is go back to Boston for game seven. And they come out. They score the first goal. Everything's great. Second period, we dominate. And then we win. And then, Ziggy, you know this. This is, I mean, this is one of those ones. And this is not even playing. But you get that rush of emotions like that you won or had a good game. It's tough. I mean, I try to close my eyes for a second. I'm like, there's no chance I'm falling asleep. I got to ride this one out. So, did some work for the show. Did the radio show. Now I'm, uh, I'm on the phone with you guys. Yeah, that's. I mean, after a big series win or a big win or you have a big game, yeah, of course it's always, it's always tough. You got to have a couple of uh, diet cokes, you know, and and try oh, to yeah. and try to get some sleep. <laughs> exactly. But no, right. Yeah. No. I mean, that's a massive win. I mean, Islanders. I. I People tell, you know, talking to people last night, can you believe it? I'm like, yes, I can believe it. You know, the way their power play clicked in the series always seemed to have four lines going. Like how many games against the Bruins was a line not going for, for the Islanders? I, I And I talk, tell Scotty all the time, the best teams have three of four going. Uh, the Islanders just seem to have four lines and they roll them and Barry trots again. What, I, you can't say enough about them. Can we can we be honest for a quick second before I answer that question? Um, what was Washington thinking, letting Barry Trotz walk out of the I building? I can't I can't figure it out. I the guys I talked to, I don't know if you have any buddies that have played for him. They absolutely love it. Like t- like expects a lot out of you, but fair knows who to give the ice time to. Good systems, details, and just the players he has it with the island. It's just he always finds a way to win. It's like. Washington team, a lot of skill figures out a way f- for them to win a cup Islanders, not the most skilled team in the league, hardworking blue collar, 
finds a way to go to the final four again. It's just, it, he just does it year after year with wherever, wherever he is. Zig, if I were to tell you, right, before the playoffs starts, you know how, I mean, this, this Islanders team is, is built for postseason hockey. You mentioned depth. I mean, they roll four lines. That identity line sets the tone. They're physical. They make it tough. You got a pair of shutdown D. You're getting great goaltending. You can play physical. If I were to tell you before this, this postseason started that the Islanders would have scored the most goals in the playoffs to this point, there's no chance you would have believed that. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, I, I mentioned the power play. Like, I, I don't know where, where were they 40% on the power play going into game six? Like, I, that was kind of like the one area, right? A team that can't score. Okay, now all of a sudden, they absolutely dominate one of the best PKs in the regular season in the Bruins. I know Carlo was out and Miller wasn't playing, but and Rask had the injury. Doesn't matter. Going 40%. I think it was, I think it, I think that was the biggest key of the series. Obviously, like you said, they roll four and they kind of come at you at waves. But yeah, a team that doesn't have a lot of skill dominating on the power play. What teams can we say did the opposite this year? You know, Toronto Maple Leafs, most skilled team in the league. Power play didn't show up in the playoffs. And that special teams, we talk about it. You don't really need it. But a team like the Islanders, when you're going against a powerhouse like the Bruins, I thought it was a big difference maker for them. I think it was the difference maker. And I think the way, I mean, that, between the PP, the way that clicked, Barzell finally, I mean, he started, he started to wake up. And then, I mean, Varlamov was great. I mean, he really was. I mean, he was, he was there to, to stem the tide whenever Boston kind of gets double momentum. Um, he was there to do it. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, if you're going to play the, the style of hockey that the Islanders play, where it's, you know, we're not going up and down, you know, we're, we're going to kind of let's slow this thing down, play great defensively. You got to take advantage of those opportunities, and that's exactly what they did in this Boston series. With Rick DiPietro and leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan, you can speak to this having played for the Islanders for so long, Rick. The fans there, um, look, it's they don't play in Manhattan like the Rangers do. They probably don't have the backing of the majority of the city from a hockey perspective. That would be the Rangers, but there is, and I I say this in the most positive way possible. It's almost like the Islanders are that cult classic or that cult film. They've got their they've got their little rink out on Long Island and they got this committed, crazy fan base that shows up when the games are the biggest. We saw it all series. They're letting twelve thousand in now. It definitely, especially coming out of COVID, where I think we really realized how much we miss live crowds. Man, the effect they had on that series was big too. Oh, it was huge. I mean, you can't understate it. I mean, that's and one of the beautiful things about the Coliseum too is is the ability for the fans to come early and tailgate. So, I mean, I remember always like big games, you drive up and the place would be you know, parking lots crowded. Guys, you know, they're playing street hockey, having some adult beverages, and then they'd be all lubed up for the game. Place would be shaking, and I'd be running around with the blowtorch, getting the roaches, you know, out of my pads because it was. I mean, it's a little. I mean, it's a little it worn bad. down. We, yeah, we'd always say it's a, it's a dump, but it's our dump. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, between what's going on with the Cali, you got the parking lot, you got, I mean, Borelli's, an Italian restaurant that's close to the, uh, to the arena and the practice facility. That place is, is full with a couple hundred people going crazy. Yeah, this is, I mean, I'm, walking, I'm driving around seeing Islanders jerseys and, you know, business windows and everything else. So they, yeah, they are, they are fanatical about this Islanders team. They got a shot against Tampa. I, I know they got taken out in six in this round last year by the Lightning, who, of course, went on to win the Stanley Cup. How do you like their shot in the rematch? I think they got a chance. I mean, you look back at that series, there were a couple, you know, obviously a couple overtime games. It's eventual Stanley Cup champions. So, again, I mean, they, they held their own. 
Uh, I think a lot is, I mean, a lot of good is happening for the Islanders right now. I mean, offensively, they seem to be clicking at the right time here. But Tampa is, I think, as good as you thought the Bruins were, a, is a step up in competition. Um, Kucherov coming back, guy, <laughs> guy doesn't play. I wish I was that good. Doesn't play a game in the regular season and come back and you just all of a sudden decide he, was, he wants to step in and dominate he was the, in the season. Ki- he was in the KHL all year. Z- Ziggy's, he went got, undercover. Ziggy's got a Pete Alonso level tin tin cap theory, <laughs> tin foil cap theory about about Kucherov. Yeah, he was in the KHL all year. You didn't hear? <laughs> would it surprise you? With the stories you've heard of the KHL, would that surprise you? No, not at all. <laughs> Just give him a different passport, dye his hair. Yeah. <laughs> Sergei Barokov was playing for Avangard Omsk, and it turns out it was Nikita Kucherov coming off the hip. There you would go. Surprise me a bit. Uh, Rick, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks for jumping on. Have a great show this morning and then get some rest. You deserve it. Thank and you, you for need having me, guys. All right. Appreciate it. Rick DiPietro, friend of the show, and uh, one third of DiPietro, Rothenberg, and Canty on ESPN 98.7 New York. The Islanders advance and they will play Tampa in one of the Stanley Cup semifinals. Uh, the Habs will play the winner of Vegas, Colorado. And if the Golden Knights win game six at home tonight, it will be Vegas. Connor Brown is a former Leaf. He's a GTA guy and he's now an Ottawa Senator. And man, was he a standout for Team Canada at the recently completed World Hockey Championships played in Riga, Latvia. Canada takes home the gold on a golden goal by Connor's teammate in Ottawa, Nick Paul, set up by Connor Brown. And here is Connor. You back on uh, Eastern time yet? How you feeling? Uh, yeah, I'm getting there. It's a little easier <laughs> coming this way than going the other, but I think I'm all right. You bet. Um, so, So take us through the general experience of playing a world hockey championships in the middle of a global pandemic, getting over to Riga and living the life. Cause this tournament is a little bit more a marathon than a sprint. You're over there for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're gone like four weeks or something like that. And to be honest, I mean, with the, with the pandemic and with it being a bubble, like, you know, I've heard from other guys in other years, how, uh, you know, you, you get to enjoy the city and we were on such a strict lockdown of not being able to leave the hotel. It was a bit of a grind for the first uh, three weeks, I'd say. But once we hit the um, the medal rounds, it was, you know, obviously the excitement of the tournament just kind of took over. But it was, it, it, you know, Hockey Canada did their best to, to make it as great as possible. Had a couple outings and stuff. But, you know, at times it was a bit of a grind. <laughs> And you lose the first three. What was the turnaround like? And were guys just like after the third one, okay, this is over and we'll just play however we're going to play? Or explain how what the change was from game three to game four. Well, I mean, we didn't really we, – we figured that if we won the next four, we'd get in. We needed 12 points to get in, we thought. And so and we knew we had a good team. Um, we knew we got that Mangiapane after game three, too. I mean, we knew we were getting better. And we knew that, like, those games that we we lost, we just couldn't score. It's like I think the mm-hmm. goalie on the opposing team got MVP all three games or something like that. And then, I mean, um, we kind of – I mean, it's hard to to lose – to keep the faith. Obviously, you're down 0-3, and, like, you know, it's not like we're enjoying the city or anything. We're just kind of nothing to do but think about it. And uh, so it just made the whole turnaround that much more sweet. With Connor Brown on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So describe – the golden goal, Nick Paul's golden goal, from your perspective. Well, 
I, Paulie made a great play off the draw. Like, I think that's what uh, an underrated play about that whole goal is he kind of lost the draw and then he jumped forward and he knew the guy was going to throw it back. And he kind of sniped it and then um, he just threw a burger in my feet and I just threw it back to him and it was a goal. Um, are you keeping an eye on the playoffs this year? Uh, I know every year I get knocked out. It's kind of like you always see who knocks you out or don't make the playoffs, different teams you played against. What have you, uh, have you keeping an eye? And if so surprised that the Canadians are, are off to the final four. Yeah, I've been, I've been watching. Yeah. I mean, obviously a little bit of a surprise, but, um, you know, they, they have a good team. They're, they're extremely deep, especially for made for the playoffs. Like all, they have really good four lines. And obviously, you know, the carry when he's playing well, there's no better. So, um, you know, it's understandable what they're doing. I mean, uh, you know, it's really just going to show just the depth of, uh, of teams is, uh, is so massive when it comes playoff time. And, um, you know, I think they're, they're a good factor of that. And other than that, you know, I was watching the Islanders game last night. That was, uh, another team that's just, you know, they just, they're just so deep and they just, uh, play a good team game man we'll ne- we'll never take for granted fans in the stands again huh i know it, just I know. what they it's add so fun to watch i know it's it's uh it's i'm looking forward to it i mean it's going to be unreal to get back to that it was uh that was awesome to watch with connor brown of the uh, ottawa senators and one of the team canada heroes at the world hockey championships canada claiming gold how close are you guys up there in ottawa connor to really breaking through and, and I, I mean, I think we're going to go back to divisions as we understood them to be pre-COVID. Um, so there, it's tough at the top, but, but how close are you and the Ottawa Senators to breaking through and trying to punch a ticket into the playoffs here? I mean, um, you know, post-deadline, I, I, I don't know exactly what our record was, but we were, um, you know, we, we didn't have many losses after, after the deadline and we played a, a, a brand and a game that we felt like, you know, that was our, our team moving forward. And, um, you know, we feel, we feel confident to be honest. We, we feel that, that would, that, that whole end of the year was, uh, you know, we had a conversation amongst the guys. It's just all about building confidence, moving into the next year. And that's exactly what we did. So, um, you know, I think we're all excited to hit the ground running. We believe we, uh, you know, we believe we had got a really competitive team. What are your summers like now? Do you take time off? When do you start training, getting back on the ice? Obviously, we're not sure about next year yet, but what's a typical start of the offseason like for you? Um, well, I'll take a, a week or so, a week or two off here, and then um, and then ease back into it, get into the gym a bit, and I'll stay off the ice for 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 some time now. And um, But, you know, slowly get into the gym. Um, you know, some aches and pains from a bit of a grind of a year and uh, get those all sorted out and hit the ground run. I mean, Connor, I, we're obviously not asking you to divulge anything personal in conversations you may have with your pals, but it it's pretty obvious you're a former Leaf, so you've got a lot of friends on the team. It was a tough out for them against Montreal. You're buddies with Connor McDavid. You guys lit up the OHL as line mates in Erie, he had a tough out in the first round. Oilers getting swept by the Jets. Do you and I and I know you were overseas, but do you, do you typically communicate with guys in situations like that, or is it one of those things where you just let it breathe? 
Uh, I think I just let letting it breathe. I mean, for I, I've talked to you know some of my you know close with a lot of guys in the Leafs from a time there. I've talked to them, but not really about anything but hockey kind of thing because I know how um, you know I've you know went through two game seven losses against Boston. I know how uh, it takes a little to get over it. I mean, it's you know. You, you, it's it, it's uh, it's it's tough, especially in this market. I mean, it's just uh, you know I, I can imagine how the, how those guys are feeling and the disappointment. But you know uh, they're lucky to have a a good roster and a good club, and they can uh, compete year in year out. Well, Jeff from Oakville on the text line five ninety five ninety says, "Good morning, Connor. Entertaining win for you guys, and he wants to say thank you for saving spring hockey in the city of <laughs> in the city of Toronto." So there you go. Doing good yep. for some uh, broken-hearted there Leafs fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Something with Don't a Maple Leaf on the chest did well. Um, thank you for doing this, Connor. Uh, have a wonderful summer, uh, and we'll wish you luck in almost every game you play next year. Just just be nice in the five or six you play against the Maple Leafs, all right? <laughs> all right. See you guys. <laughs> there you go. Connor Brown, uh, former Leaf, Ottawa Senator, and obviously had a great run with two goals, 14 assists, 16 points in the 10 games, helping lead Canada to the gold medal at the... Uh, recent world championships in Riga. Stewie and Bourne. Oh. Borny had a conversation with the guys on Good Show earlier this week about a Zach Hyman contract. Maybe we'll delve into that. Oh, we'll boy. talk a little bit about the fans on Long Island. Borny would know that, too. His dad, Bob, one of the Islanders' heroes from the early 80s. Stewie's probably got a take on the CN Tower. You guys were talking about it last <laughs> night. We'll get into all of that and so much more <laughs> in a moment. going to guarantee that nobody knew what this song was. Stewie, you type CN Tower lyrics or some kind of thing into Google and this came up? Be honest. I was going to I was going to say is Ziggy going to ask, "Hey, what's the message behind that song?" It literally says CN Tower in the lyrics, but uh, those are the polls. What do you mean a Toronto uh Toronto punk band in the mid 70s? Uh, I remember listening to them on my way to uh uh, Sam the Record Man on the TTC. <laughs> no, you don't. Is that true? <laughs> you don't I was remember born in 1985. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> on my way to the music store. I mean, the, the layers of BS <laughs> in that story. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. D does anybody have a magic hot take to put a final bow on this CN Tower business? I my, Here's it. I, I don't think it's worth getting angry over, but it was also stupid and didn't need to happen. Okay, I'll say it's worth getting angry over. Fire someone. That's ridiculous. Have a little pride, Toronto. Come on. <laughs> I said there's, a, there's an LED lights operator whose job it is to take care of whatever color the CN Tower is going to be that night who is now gone underground. 
and well, ain't going to emerge from their bunker for months <laughs> until this blows over. Well, As I, he should. I, I can understand being mildly inconvenienced, but uh, Scotty Mack, I think you went overboard with your take saying, oh, they need to bury me before they change the lighting. It's almost as if the CN Tower grew four fingers and then gave you one. No, I I said it. It looks like a middle finger in the middle of our city when it's blue and red the way it was lit up. No, 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 no. I didn't say, I didn't say I'll be, I said I'll be in my grave before I ever cheer for the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, okay. I guess. (laughs) My take on it was if, if if Winnipeg would have won, they wouldn't have lit it up with the Winnipeg colors or Edmonton. I feel like it was just Montreal. No? Like, yeah. I, I just... No, that's a great I don't, take. Great yeah, take. Canada's team. Canada's team. Oh my there's God. not Canadians. a prayer they were right, lighting it up, like, same, like, blue and white, and they're like, but it's for the Jets. Like, no. That I want to ask Scotty Mac. Scotty Mac, you're in Ottawa for the weekend, right? And you're, you're having a good time. And the cup is in Montreal. You're telling me you're not hopping on a quick two-hour drive over to Montreal to go to the party? Yes or no? Come on. Well, <laughs> See, exactly. Scotty likes not, a good party. I'm not, wearing, I'm not wearing a Habs jersey while I'm there. I can tell you that. I'm workshopping yeah. my franglais, but I'm 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 definitely not I'm definitely not wearing a Habs jersey. I'm happy to party in Montreal any weekend. Um, okay. Doesn't have to be for a Stanley Cup. It is one of my favorite cities. I just have uh, a challenge or two with the uh, with the hockey team there. You're speaking, warming up. You're warming up. Speaking of craziness and fans, Justin, that must have been a nice bit of turn back the clock for you last night, seeing how rabid they were on Long Island. I, I mean, I don't think we'll ever take crowds for granted again post COVID. Nor should we. I mean, that really was. You know, there were some lean years on Long Island and. You know, the fans stuck it out through there. They have a passionate, diehard fan base, as uh, has been nicely documented the last couple playoff years. Honestly, I felt really bad for the guys who bought the Islanders, John Ledecky and Scott Malkin, years ago. And all of a sudden, they get this team into the playoffs. Last year, they go to the conference final, and they can't have fans. Like, it's not an overly profitable team. And so that was a, a tough ride. This year, to see them do it again, get back there. There's, like, videos of Ledecky leading the fan charge. Um, you know, before they, they make the move, the last run in the Coliseum, it's just a special year for, for the Islanders and their fans. Yeah, I, I like the fact that uh, they, they had the, uh, the the Saints chant going <laughs> and they were tailgating before, you know, Smart. they got the drums out. So I don't think I'm going to take being a fan even at a concert. I was the cool guy that wouldn't be singing. I'm going to be hitting all the high notes and I'm definitely not taking uh, the fans for granted ever again. You're going to be singing on the subway on your way to Sam the Record Man. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Under, under your mask. Ashamed. <laughs> is is this not the end of the Bruins run here? Like, do you think after what Cassidy said after the game, Rask wasn't good enough. We weren't good enough. Do you think now it 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 all changes? Rask moves on, and the Bruins figure out some other, you know, what kind of team to you know assemble going forward? Or do you think they're going to stick with the same guys, same plan? You know, Justin, what are your what are your thoughts on the Bruins? What's well, tough because like I have been the guy, and I'll own this, that I've written them off for I don't know four straight seasons now. Mm-hmm. That like the main part of this team in Bergeron and Marchand are going to age out at some point, and the guys just seem to be ageless. So, you know, like I'm a little hesitant to write those guys off. And not to mention, there's been the rise of David Pasternak, you know, being a Rocket Richard Trophy winner now. Uh, you know, Charlie McAvoy is a guy who's going to be in the Norris Trophy conversation. Uh, Grizzlick's a lot better player than I thought he ever would become. Like they got a lot of guys. So I don't know that it's just like, 
you know when when teams say the BS about we're going to retool, not not rebuild. I like the Bruins to me are just a the, you're able to swap out a few pieces and make a cup contender. I don't think they're that far gone. Yeah, I think they're like the Pittsburgh Penguins where you have that top line and it's one of the top lines of the whole entire National Hockey League. You still have to run it back. So I think, you know, Swayman's probably going to be the future in net. I could see them getting a another veteran backup. But I think where they really got hurt this year was the depth on their defense. They lost Chara last year and they had some injuries in Carlos. So I think they need to shore up the blue line in free agency. But don't count these guys out. I've been counting them out, uh, you know, for about six years now. But they just seem to be in the mix every single year. I see uh, next season being no different. Okay, so Car- Carlo was a big loss for sure yeah Mm -hmm. yes so Tuca is 35 next season unrestricted free agent coming off a long-term contract where he made seven million dollars a year he's not healthy as we go into the off season here term and dollar and if you want to hazard a guess as to where he may end up playing what do you think his next look uh, contract looks like well, it's weird. Like Tukarask is an interesting guy. Like, do you remember last year at the bubble? He went to the bubble and he just didn't like how it was going, and he pieced out. And you know, I, I would want to get a sense for where his headspace is at because I genuinely don't know. Like, I'd be comfortable with him at thirty-five, knowing how well he played this year. You know, saying you give him three years or something, two or three years anyway. Um, you know, at a decent number, five or something in that in that range. But still, it's uh, does he want to do it? Is he committed? Is he all the way in on this? You know, I know he's been a little bit injured. Is it going to be hard to rehab? I, I have questions about his, um, I guess, his mental game to go with his physical game because you know he can goaltend. Just does he want to, to go through this to be the best he can be? Yeah, well, this is a complete outsider's take, and uh, I'm not hearing that uh, Toronto and ba- Boston may be doing a goalie switch uh, where you could see Freddie Anderson possibly going to the Boston Bruins and, you know, uh, mm. Tuka Rask coming back home where he originally should have been. So There's I think Ray for Tuka... <laughs> <laughs> He's going to TSN, uh, but uh, I think with uh, I, I think with Rask, he still has some game left. And again, you saw he left the bubble early. He got injured this year. I think if a, he has a good off season in the gym, and I think there's still going to be a market for him because when he was on, he really stood on his head and stole some games. So I could see him getting a two year, three year deal. And I advocate for all the money for the players. So yeah, you know, throw him four million. Why not? Uh, last series to kind of finish up here is Vegas and. Colorado, do you think it's going to go just in seven games here? What what are you seeing out of uh, Colorado? Because that seems to be all the talk, right? Getting called out by your coach, having to split up your top line, so many different moving parts. Where do you think they're at? Can they pull it off? Yeah, I think they can. You know, it's a matter of focusing on uh, process, not results. And last game, the process was good. You know, they they didn't have uh, great showings in game three and four after the winning the first couple. But you know, they they played really well in the last game, and I thought dominated long stretches of the game. Uh, sometimes in hockey, you just don't get the goal, right? Like it just doesn't come for you, and they end up losing uh, in OT. But I thought they found something there. I know that's at home, and they haven't uh, shown that they can do it in Vegas. But this is a, a talented team, a proud team. I thought it was the best team in the NHL this season, in the regular season. So I'm uh, I'm definitely not going to say Vegas has this in the bag. I think Colorado uh, gives a, a nice pushback today, and we see this go seven. 
Yeah, what's frustrating for me as a, as a coach and former player is that, you know, Vegas made the necessary adjustments to sort of slow them down through the neutral zone, but Colorado hasn't switched their game up at all. They're just on their toes, on their toes, on their toes. They're like Rocky Balboa uh, fighting Drago. They're just going in and getting knocked out and keep coming. So they have to adjust their, their system up a bit. Uh, you got to get pucks in deep. We talked about it yesterday, Ziggy. You got to get that short game going because, you know, it's a well-coached team in Vegas, and if they don't adjust, I could see them being done uh, today for sure. Ken Reed's alarm just just went off. Yeah, Pucks yeah. in Pucks deep. deep. PID. Yeah. I love it. An Pucks. angel gets his wings every time. <laughs> An angel gets... So if I'm I, the hockey gods, if I'm listening right now and I'm a Toronto based Montreal Canadiens fan, whether I'm an animate object or an inanimate object of the CN tower, who am I cheering for tonight and potentially in game seven out of Colorado, Vegas, Borny, you first and then Stewie, do you see, a preferred matchup of the two for Montreal. I honestly, I don't see a preferred matchup. I just run and hide either way. <laughs> you know, it's well, but the Habs were supposed to run and hide two weeks ago. Yeah, no, they were. Uh, but the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't think anyone ever said that they were the Colorado Avalanche or even uh, Vegas. We didn't know because the divisions were comparable, but I think those teams are, are on a different level. So certainly Montreal has uh, risen to challenges before, but I think that you're talking about you know the best teams in hockey here. So I, I don't know. Colorado seems a little faster. Vegas maybe a little bit more well-rounded. I'm not sure where, which is worse for Montreal. Yeah, I'm thinking they prefer to play Vegas because Vegas is more of a north-south, more predictable. But that Colorado team, they're going east-west, north-south, south-north, all over the place, like Ziggy at uh, Whole Foods. So um, <laughs> it's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> it's a lot easier to prepare for uh, a Vegas team than a Colorado where they could kill you you know uh, 10 different ways fueled by sheep kefir yeah. <laughs> whatever that is <laughs> if Montreal gets blown out do you think it will do anything to the regular season accomplishments of McDavid and Matthews just the fact that we've all been talking about it right and the north isn't as strong but if they if like we come on here next Thursday what are we going to be two games in to the next round I haven't seen the schedule out yet but we'll be a couple games in right well do you think something like that would people start talking about hey the you know Canadians don't look good against Vegas or Colorado yeah the north was weak I, I'll be honest. I looked at the leading scorers just by chance in the regular season. Uh, I looked at the list today and saw, you know, McDavid on top by 30-some, and then, you know, Marner in fourth, and Matthews in fifth, and Dreisaitl there, and Canadian players all over it. And I was like, that's not a great look. You know, I, it'll, <laughs> it'll, it'll affect yeah. how I feel about it for sure. Yeah. Well, when we come back and the series is tied or Montreal's up 2 nothing, we've all, we've all seen this story before. There's no way. Come on, guys. You think Montreal's going to come in and make it this way just to get, you know, shellacked 4 nothing, 4 straight? Again, they've proved people wrong. The Toronto series, Winnipeg series, I think they're going to be a very competitive team. Are they going to win the next round? I don't know, but it's the playoffs. Anything can happen. We you know sound that. like you're kind of hoping for it, though, Stewie. You sound like well, you might, there might be a little blue blanc et rouge in you. Well, I got my Tele Francais bag ready to party yes. when, they, when they win the cup. Anana, Anana, great five French. I'll be the dancing skeleton up there. I'll be <laughs> flying around a little heavier. Oh God, Tele Francais! I don't think I thought of Tele Francais in thirty-five years. Oh, this seems bonjour. like local humor. Hello. This seems like Salut. local humor. I'm, I'm out on this one. Tele Francais, yeah. we got to play I'm that boarding. Vic. Play me out with that Vic. Come on, let's go. Yes, we got to find a little. Tele Francais and Anna. <laughs> All right.
I love that. That is a that is a reference. That is a reference, and so is listening to the polls sing CN Tower on your TTC ride to Sam the Record Man. And you were pulling it old school this morning. Uh, boys, it's always fun. Uh, thanks for doing this. And we, uh, as you know, we'll chat next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, guys. Justin thanks, guys. Bourne. Ah, uh, yeah. You found it. <laughs> this, is gr- this was like a grade five French TV show at all. that our teachers used to show us. No idea. Yeah. Yes, Telefrancais <laughs> Fantastique, I remember. Grade 5, Maple Grove Public School, so, Oakville, Ontario, 1989-90. Every Montreal Canadiens win going forward, we're playing this in the morning the next day. How about that? We're, right. Yes. Okay. Let's hope we don't hear it again. <laughs> Let's hope Vegas or Colorado gets it done in four. A little Telefrancais every day after a Habs win. All right, we're back at it tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock for your Friday. Elliot Friedman. Uh, We'll be with us at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. Good show is next. The humidity seems to be gone. Sunny today. Enjoy your Thursday. Friday.